This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. what a historiography is it's been a while since i've used that word maybe since college my understanding of what a historiography is and i'm sure i just looked this up and there are a few definitions but one of them fits my interpretation of what a historiography is a historiography is as i interpret it which again my interpretation of things is not always the correct one but my understanding of what a historiography is is that if you're about to write about something, if you're about to do a research paper or publish a paper or some sort of academic research on any item, you first, in order to make sure you're covering new ground, you first have to research everything that's been said about that subject to make sure you're not treading on ground that somebody else has already tread to make sure your paper, your thesis, your Ph.D. proof is contributing something original and new to the discussion. And I would love to try to do that with the announcement that came yesterday. By now, I am sure, (laughs) unless you've been asleep uh, like Rip Van Winkle (laughs) for the last few years, I am sure by now you have heard That President Donald Trump, the 45th president of the United States, would very much like to be the 47th president of the United States. In order to make America great and glorious again, I am tonight announcing my candidacy for president of the United States. I would love to know your thoughts on the speech itself and on your thoughts on President Trump's candidacy on where and where we go from here. But here's the caveat. Before you dial 800-848-9222, before you call in and say something, I want you to think to yourself, has anybody else said this for the last four hours? Do not call and repeat something you heard on cable news from some analyst. Do not call and repeat something that you heard another caller tell another radio show. And if you're going to call in and say, yeah, I love Trump. We need Trump to win. Spare me. Uh, I'm bored to tears. If you're going to call in and say, Trump's the worst president of all time. We can't let anything happen to him. Spare me. I'm bored to tears. If you have an original thought that will add a meaningful Depth to this conversation and this exploration, that's what I'm interested in. 800-848-9222. And I'm going to try and do the same thing. You know, I did something for the last couple hours that I very rarely do, which is I made an effort not to listen to any talk radio, including the ones, uh, including the shows on this station, 
because I didn't want to be influenced by the analysis of a lot of the good people that are on the radio before me, and I didn't want to necessarily, um, I didn't necessarily want to take any of their ideas. If I come to the same thought independently as them, so be it. But former President Trump uh, is doing something a little bit different than he did in 2020, and maybe even in 2016. He's coming into this race sort of, not quite, but sort of as the underdog. And that's exactly how he likes it. He relishes being the the underdog. What do I mean by that? He's still probably the most recognizable Republican in the country and the most popular person among Republicans in the country. But at least six private and public polls conducted since the midterms have placed Florida Governor Ron DeSantis comfortably ahead of Trump in a hypothetical matchup, including in key early states like Iowa and New Hampshire. Now, I don't put much stock in the polls, but uh, we also did see at an annual meeting of the Republican Governors Association yesterday morning that former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, who at one time headed the Trump transition team, declared he was tired of losing and identified Trump as the one constant weighing Republicans down over three straight elections. Now, that's not the kind of thing that Chris Christie would have done two years ago when he was begging Donald Trump for the opportunity to help him prep for the debates. And uh, Christie obviously wants to run for president himself, and he's looking for any opportunity he can to criticize Trump. I've never been a Christie fan, honestly. I think he is an interesting guy. He did a couple of interesting things as governor, but I've always thought he was way overrated. So... In 2016, um, Trump declared on the campaign campaign trail that Republicans would win so much, you're going to get tired of winning. What Chris Christie and Larry Hogan, the governor of Maryland, are saying is that they're tired of losing. I don't feel all of the blame is rightly placed on Trump. I think there are a variety of other factors, which I have covered earlier in the week. Here are my observations on the thoughts uh, on the speech itself. One is I really loved a lot of the messaging and I loved that Trump went out of his way to mention the importance of foreign policy, number one, and on um, avoiding nuclear war, number two, which as far as I'm concerned, when I'm looking for a president, that's the number one issue I'm concerned with, avoiding nuclear war, but also having the United States engage diplomatically again with other countries. He referenced that. Instead of jobs and factories leaving America for China, they were for the first time ever leaving China for America. (laughs) Businesses were pouring back because of our historic tax and regulation cuts, the biggest in both categories in history, bigger even than what Ronald Reagan was able to produce, and he produced a lot. China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea were in check and respected. They respected the United States, and quite honestly, they respected me. I knew them well. I knew them well. And he went on to say a little bit later in the speech that uh, we need to make sure that we avoid nuclear war, and that needs to be the priority. I haven't heard that from a lot of the other prospective candidates for president so far in either party. And I'll tell you, just in terms of how he looked, I thought he looked really good. I thought he looked trim. It looked like uh, he's been dieting, looked like he was kind of slim. I did think, 
maybe this is a function of age or maybe this is just my perception because of how we've seen Trump conduct himself over the last six or seven years. I did think the speech was a little low energy. I thought Trump's presentation was not the same sort of uh, garrulous, bombastic presentation that I would have expected in a campaign announcement where he's trying to rally the base. Now, again, this is a man who is approaching his mid-70s or in his mid-70s, so maybe it's unfair to expect the same level of energy uh, as when he first came down the escalator back in 2015. And even if it was low energy, I don't know what there is to really take away from that. Additionally, I noticed that he stayed mostly on the teleprompter. For a guy that loves to speak in an impromptu manner and kind of just riff, he stayed on that teleprompter, and then it looked like he would read the room, and when he wasn't getting the kind of reaction from that room that he wanted, then he would deviate from the script and make adjustments, and people would clap, and it looked like he would get a little bit of uh, energy from that. As far as the campaign goes, uh, I'm glad he's running. I'm glad he's running uh, because, number one, he can win. I think he is still the candidate most likely to be the Republican nominee for president. And once you're the Republican nominee, I think you got basically a one out of two shot at winning the election. It's not a perfect one out of two shot, but it's almost. It's almost like if you're betting black and red in uh, in roulette or banker or um, or player in Baccarat. You know, it could be a tie or it could be green. It could be double zero. But you got almost one out of two chance. And if he does win, I think nuclear war is less likely. And that is a big part of my whole agenda. Additionally, I think it's great for the Republican Party to have a real contest. I think it's great that these other candidates are running. Chris Christie and Mike Pence and Ron DeSantis and Larry Hogan and maybe Mike Pompeo and Glenn Youngkin and Nikki Haley. I think it's great. I want the strongest Republican Party there can be and the strongest Democratic Party there can be. And I think when both parties have vibrant contests with a lot of good candidates putting their ideas out there before the voters, I think the voters are the big beneficiaries of that. And I think uh, the voters ultimately in the general election are the big beneficiary of that. The key, I think, is more choices and more voices. And so I am eager personally Um, I'm not enthused about voting for Trump again the way I was in 2016. Um, I am eager to see what happens with the Andrew Yang forward party, and I'm eager to see what happens with no labels. Both of those entities are trying to put a third candidate on the ballot in the event that it looks like it's a Trump versus Biden rematch. And I would love to see a candidate that's a little less polarizing, that could kind of bring people together in the current climate. Uh, I'd love to support a third candidate, a third major candidate. But if those entities nominate a typical establishment retread that they call a centrist, if they nominate someone that wants us to give a blank check to the Zelensky regime, then count me in for Trump, because I know Trump's not doing that. So I think uh, also, and this is the last thought, thought that I'll add, Maybe not the last, but it's the penultimate thought that I'll add, and then I'll take your calls before adding a bit more. I do think it's a bit of a mistake for him and the Republican Party to announce before December 6th. You have the Georgia runoff election on December 5th. One, I think it's a mistake for him because if Herschel Walker loses, 
because of Herschel Walker's shortcomings as a candidate, then Trump's going to get blamed for that. The other reason I think that it's a negative for the voters in Georgia and maybe even the voters all around the country is that now Donald Trump becomes the only issue in Georgia between now and December 5th. All Warnock is going to talk about is Donald Trump. All Walker is going to do is try to rally the Trump base. And uh, I don't think that's a good thing for anybody. And I'll just say there's a few other thoughts I have on this. I'll share with them. I'll share this with you throughout the course of the hour. I know a lot of people listen for subjects other than politics on this program. And I like to do subjects other than politics. And we have a bunch of non-political subjects coming up throughout the show. And I'm going to make an effort to have tomorrow be entirely free of the men- mentioning the word Trump. So we'll get it all out of our system today, and it's a little difficult with Kilmeade, because Kilmeade may mention him. But uh, tomorrow, I think, we'll be Trump-free. So just bear with us today. It is kind of a groundbreaking day. Whenever a former president officially announces his candidacy for president, that is a big deal. Only one president in history has ever served non-consecutive terms, and I, only one president in history has been the Republican – one person in history has been the Republican nominee for president three times. I believe that was Richard Nixon. I don't think anybody else has ever done it. So it's a rare thing. Even if he just gets nominated, that is a historic moment in American history, So, uh, let alone if he wins. So I think the least I could do is chat about it and give you an opportunity to talk about it. But remember the key. The key here is something new, something different something original that you haven't heard said by someone else over the last four and a half hours. What is that? 800-848-9222. Now, he did, of course, as you might expect, take a few shots at his possible opponent, President Biden, the fellow that he ran against in 2020. Joe Biden has intentionally surrendered our energy independence. There is no longer even a thought of dominance. And we are now begging for energy help from foreign nations, many of whom find us detestable. Our southern border has been erased, and our country is being invaded by millions and millions of unknown people, many of whom are entering for a very bad and sinister reason. And you know what that reason is. We will be paying a big price for this invasion into our country for years to come. Hundreds of thousands of pounds of deadly drugs including very lethal fentanyl, are flooding across the now open and totally porous southern border. The blood-soaked streets of our once great cities are cesspools of violent crimes, which are being watched all over the world as leadership of other countries explain that this is what America and democracy is really all about. How sad. If I could give Trump one piece of advice, It would be to take a page out of the Kennedy playbook in 1960, the Reagan playbook of 1980 and 1984, and to some extent, the Trump playbook of 2016, which is, um, you know, Kennedy was running in a different party than a very popular incumbent president. In Eisenhower's last year in office, he was more popular than almost any president in his last year in office. So Kennedy did not run for president on a platform. And I realize Kennedy almost lost. But Kennedy did not run for president on a platform of 
you know, America is just doing terribly. All of our leaders are doing terribly. Kennedy ran on a platform of America is great and can be even better. And President Reagan, same thing. There was sort of an optimism, a hopefulness about Reagan and Kennedy in 60 and 80, respectively. And to some extent, that was true with Trump in 2016. Trump did have no problem pointing out the shortcomings of what was going on in the country. But what was the nucleus of his message? It was make America great again. So I think that's the thing that I feel is somewhat missing from Trump's messaging thus far, which is any hint of optimism or hopefulness. I think people like voting for a somebody with the sun shining on their face, somebody that is hopeful about the future of the country, not uh, somebody that uh, is talking about how bad things are. I recognize that when you're running against an incumbent, you have to contrast what they're doing to what you would do. But I do think there's room for at least uh, stylistically a more hopeful message. What do you think? 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Ken in New Jersey. Hello, Ken. Hi. Uh, my uh, thought is that uh, if the Republicans uh, think that uh, all those votes that uh, went to Biden on the last election because people just would not vote for Donald Trump, uh, that all those votes uh, that uh, went uh, in that election are now going to come back to the Republicans with Donald Trump, I think that's a big mistake because those people that would not vote for Donald Trump uh, will not vote for uh, Biden because they've seen what Biden uh, can do. Those people, and there are millions of them, will sit it out. They will not vote for either one. Well, and, and I think I think Republicans are counting on those votes. Ken, they're not going to be there. Ken, I think you're right. Uh, I think you're right. I don't see Don, Donald Trump was right. He pointed out that he got more than 70 million votes in the election 20 in 2020, which is more votes than any incumbent president ever has. He was right about that. But I think you're right, Ken, in that I don't see anyone that voted against Trump in 2020 voting for him now. Now, that's one of the reasons I think this is one of those rare historical opportunities in American history where a vibrant, uh, viable third-party candidate could actually win enough states to get a, a majority of the Electoral College vote. Now, obviously, it depends on who the candidate is and what the messaging is and so forth. But I think you're right, because I think a lot of people look at Trump and they see somebody that is a little off and somebody that uh, can't doesn't have the temperament to be president and whose obsession with rigged elections and this and that. Even in the speech yesterday, he was blaming China for interfering with the 2020 election, not with any evidence or anything, but just saying it. Um, I think there's enough people that liked Trump's policies, but didn't necessarily like him that they would vote for someone that emulates some of his policies Without the kind of craziness. So um, and as far as Biden goes, I think a lot of people voted for him because he wasn't Trump and they're frustrated with him because of the border crisis, the crime problem in the country, the fentanyl situation that we're seeing, inflation, the economy, you name it. Uh, I don't get the sense that a lot of the people that voted for Biden are terribly happy with him. 
So that's one of the reasons that I think there's an oppor- a rare opportunity for a, a viable third party. 800-848-9222. But I'm just curious, what did you think of the speech and what do you think of Trump's candidacy going forward? And we will get into some other issues throughout the course of the next four hours as well. So don't worry. Let me say hello to Mike in Kings Park. Hello, Mike. Hey, how you doing? Um, yeah, I agree with you. I thought the speech was a little low energy, a little monotone, and a little bizarre where at the point in the speech where he actually made the announcement that he was officially running for president, I thought it was the timing was odd of it. It was kind of at a anticlimactic part of the speech. Um, but as far as the candidacy goes, I don't know. Uh, like you said, you, you said it. You're not enthusiastic to vote for Trump as you were in 2016, and I think a lot of people are in agreement with you. Um, but as far as the media making a big deal about the, you know, Ron DeSantis and this feud that they're going to have, listen, it's politics. Primaries can get ugly. Sure. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are now the president and vice president. She basically said she believed his accusers and basically insinuated he's a racist and now she's his vice president so uh do i think the party will move on um if after an ugly primary yes i do uh, what am i fearful of if trump loses the primary trump may not get his voters to go out to vote and there's a well, lot of I, yeah there's i, I a think lot of, i'm just saying trump voters are different than they're not Republican voters. Trump has a legion of Trump voters that he brought into the Republican Party. I do not know if they will go out to vote if he feel if they feel like Trump got slighted in any way. Mike, uh, that's fair, and thank you. Uh, a number of other people have made that point. I think that's true, but uh, I think there's also some people that are turned off by Trump uh, that would vote for a Republican candidate, uh, even if that's not Donald Trump. So I, I think he gives. And he takes away. I think it's, it's a double-edged sword. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to John in East Chester. Hello, John. Hi. How are you, Frank? I'm hanging in there. Thanks, John. I'm good. Um, I just wanted to say that I thought the news that he was reelecting is great. I think that we're in a point right now where we need him to come back because – we need those two that are in office now to get out. I mean, they are the worst president and vice president that there's ever been. So I'm happy that he's coming back. And, you know, I, I think that he needs to come back because the last election, I do believe he was cheated out of it. And so I think he has a high chance to come back and win. Now, John, um, let me begin with the first part of what you said, uh, because the, the the election rigging situation in 2020, that's a broader discussion. That'll take us four hours to go through all the uh, the evidence. But the first part of what you said, I think, is something a lot of Republicans and conservatives would agree with. I think a lot of people do think that uh, President Biden is not doing a good job. Many of them may think, as you said, that he's the worst president ever. But a lot of them may think that someone who has Trump's 
policies, but might be a little less uh, volatile, a little less polarizing, might be in a better position yeah. to beat Biden in an election. And that's where a lot of Republicans point to someone like a Yunkin or a Pompeo or a DeSantis. Where do you come down on that question? If someone says, yeah, I don't like Biden, but I think the guy to beat him is DeSantis, not Trump. Where do you come down on that? I think that, you know, I would rather see anybody but Biden win because, you know, I think maybe maybe DeSantis could get us out of the mess. But, you know, who knows? I but I, I have full faith that he's going to win because I, I just I just something that's telling me that he in his that he's going to win. So I, you know. All right. Thank you, John. I want to get a few other people in here. 800-848-9222. Al is in Yonkers. Hello, Al. Hello, Frank. You know, Frank, what struck me with the uh, former president's speech tonight was when he touched on who would have thought in two years that a nuclear catastrophic event can occur. Uh, We saw today what happened with, I believe, the missile Mm-hmm. went into from Russia went into the uh, uh Poland's airspace and i could tell you as you know the animus between the polish and the russian people go back a long long time and if this was intentional uh i hope the people in this country realize that this can set off a real situation that could cause a nuclear problem in uh, Eastern Europe. Uh, So I think President Trump, when he was president, uh, he kept us safe when he uh, dealt with North Korea, when he dealt with China, when he dealt with uh, Vladimir Putin. So that's what really struck me today, uh, tonight. And I hope, like I said, uh, to reiterate, uh, this is a dangerous situation right now in Eastern Europe. Oh, thank you, Al. We'll continue with your calls in a moment. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. YMCA by the Village People. Do you know who um, this song is a favorite of? Donald Trump, the 45th president of the United States. I'm not joking at all. Uh, You can see a lot of the rallies that took place during 2020, how prevalent this song was, and actually see Trump dancing to this song repeatedly. And now, one of the things that Trump apparently loves to do at Mar-a-Lago is to DJ. 
he is DJing all sorts of parties at Mar-a-Lago. He's got a uh, an iPad or something, and he sits at his table and kind of dances as whatever party's going on lets him pick the music. And this is always, he likes show tunes. Uh, he likes Phantom of the Opera, Les Mis. And uh, he said on podcast interviews that he's done that what really gets them rocking at Mar-a-Lago is YMCA. So um, he's a big fan of this song, and whenever he's DJing, if you're at a party where he's the DJ, you can expect to hear YMCA. Hey, uh, one of the things we are keeping an eye on is the situation involving Artemis. Artemis is uh, very exciting. This is a a moon rocket launch, and uh, following a delay of some two and a half months, NASA is aiming for a test flight of this giant moon vehicle with no astronauts aboard. And apparently this could take place any minute. This could take place within the next half hour. And it's very... Oh, oh, it already happened? Oh, there's audio of it. Uh, so w- what is this, Matt? Tell me what we're hearing. And additional to, uh, two, this is the launch director performing the final the poll for launch. Verify no constraints and go for launch. EGS, program chief engineer. EGS Program Chief Engineer verifies that the EGS, SLS, and Arroyan Program Chief Engineers have no constraints and are go for launch. Copy, Greg. Thank you. EGS Chief Safety Officer. The EGS uh, CSO verifies the SLS, Orion, and EGS CSOs uh, have no constraints uh, so and are go for launch. essentially what NASA is trying to do here in the next half hour or so is they are trying for a third time uh, to begin this campaign to send astronauts back to the moon. You know, it's funny, uh, just to tie this in with Trump, one of the reasons that Trump's campaign theme in 2016, and Bill Clinton used this in 92 and Reagan used this in 1980, was so effective, Make America Great Again, is because Americans recognized that there was a time when Americans could do things. We could win wars and we could send men to the moon. We haven't sent a man to the moon in 50 years, and we haven't won a war, with the exception maybe of the Gulf, the first Gulf War. We haven't won a war in more than that time. And one of the reasons that uh, Trump resonated with people is because he was playing to their hopes of making America a great nation again. And I think it's disgusting, quite frankly, that we have not been to the moon in 50 years. And this Artemis mission is very exciting. Because it's trying for a third time to begin this campaign to send astronauts back to the moon. This mission, Artemis 1, uh, did not get off the ground in either August or September after some technical hiccups. Then you had Hurricane Ian and Hurricane Nicole causing further launch delays. And if this happens, which according you said, heard everybody just now say they're go for launch, if this happens in the next 20 minutes or so, the uh, Space Launch System rocket and the Orion capsule are going to have no crew aboard, and a successful flight could lead to a future mission that sends astronauts first to lunar orbit and then later to the moon's surface. So it was scheduled for about a half hour ago, uh, but, uh, you know, these things happen, that it's a little bit of a, a delay. In the case of um, unfavorable weather or repeat of previous technical glitches, they can push this back to about 90 minutes from now. Um, so it's uh, likely going to take place in the next half hour. The mission management team, this is the audio that you just heard, is taking a poll, basically asking if everyone thinks the rocket is ready for a launch. So as of now, 
it looks they're like they're resuming the clock right now. You know, said. we're going Elon, forward Elon in the next twenty minutes okay, or so. Ten minutes and counting. This was uh, Janet Petro, the director of the Kennedy Space Center, on NASA TV talks, talking about the importance of this launch, which could take place in about twenty minutes. I got to say, I couldn't be more proud of the team out here. Everything we did to get to this point, and then to have those uh, two storms thrown at us. Uh, at the last minute, uh, Nicole, all the um, evacuations. As you know, uh, one time we remained um, uh, at the pad, and the other time we had to roll back to the VAB. But i got to tell you, across the workforce, whether it was our program people, um, across the agency, our institutional support organizations, they all came together and worked as a team. And so here we are tonight looking forward to a great launch. So uh, this is pretty exciting. Daryl Nell, who is the uh, person that you just heard in the audio that we were eavesdropping on, he's a NASA commentator that's listening in on these discussions in the firing room where launch decisions are made. He said that the engineers are evaluating the work that remains to be completed before the launch, and they've offered a rough estimate of no earlier than six minutes from now, uh, but it could be uh, up to an hour from now. So with an emphasis on the roughness of the estimate. So they have resumed the countdown and uh, this launch could take place anywhere from six minutes to now, uh, six minutes from now to uh, an hour from now. So we're keeping an eye on exactly what's happening there. And if we can, we're going to bring you this launch live. But the uh, space launch system rocket is fully fueled. There has been confirmation that the fix to the bad Ethernet switch succeeded. And uh, there is a new launch time because the rocket was not ready to go at its original time of 104 Eastern. So uh, this could happen in the next, you know, six minutes or the next hour or so. We're going to keep an eye on it. All right. Um, Talking about the Trump situation and the Trump announcement, 800-848-9222, if you have thoughts on that. Alex is in New Jersey. Hello, Alex. Alex not there. Arnold is in Brooklyn. Hello, Arnold. Hi, Frank. I want to mention something that's been bothering me for years. Nobody's ever mentioned it about Trump. In his voice, he has a sadness, a lament, uh, a sense of regret or possibly irony. When I listen to him, he could be discussing the cheeriest news, and I feel like I'm listening to an Anglican minister at a funeral. Okay, that's all I got on that. All right. Thanks. Yeah, go ahead. Huh? The next thing is that I agree with you. They should have coordinated with the um, the, the campaign of, um, of Walker in uh, Georgia and figured out whether he's going to trample this campaign by announcing early or if it will be of benefit. Well, I, I'm I, I, not, I agree I, with yeah, you. I, thank you, Arnold. I'm not convinced that Walker has the brightest political minds around him. So I'm not sure what coordinating with that campaign would have done. I do wonder – If all these investigations around Trump are part of what is leading him to do this, because let's face it, if he is indicted now, it's going to look like a political prosecution because you have the Justice Department, which is led by um, one of the president's adversaries, indicting a presidential candidate so he can make the case that it's just politics. And I think it does put a lot of pressure on Merrick Garland, whether it's the Mar-a-Lago document case whether uh, or some other investigations, it does put a lot of pressure on him to appoint an independent counsel. And I think, uh, according to John Bonzoff, who's a professor, who was a retired professor at George Washington University Law School, there is uh, some federal statute that says Garland is now legally obligated 
to do so. So we'll see. Um, but uh, I, I'm not an expert on that. I don't pretend to be. But I do think that Trump's announcement last night does create a pretty clear conflict of interest. And uh, because if successful, if Trump's successful as a presidential candidate, he would almost certainly fire Merrick Garland and every other top official at the Department of Justice. So how does Garland, who would be fired if Trump wins the election, preside over a Trump indictment? I don't see how he can. I think the only option, at least for the federal investigations into Trump, is to appoint a special counsel. I don't know if that's part of what's at play here. The other thing uh, that I've heard from a lot of the never-Trump Republicans and the sometimes-Trump Republicans is there's some concern that if there's more than one anti-Trump candidate, that they could split the vote as what happened in 2016 when you had Kasich and Cruz and Jeb Bush and all those other fellows running and allow Trump to win the nomination with a plurality. Well, there are three words that could stop that from happening. You know the three words. Uh, I'm sure you say them in your sleep, as I do. Rank choice voting. So if um, you could rank, say, DeSantis first and uh, uh, Pompeo second, Pence third, then I think that would prohibit that situation from happening. But uh, most states still don't have ranked choice voting. 800-848-9222. Pamela is in central Jersey. Hello, Pamela. Hello. Um, you know, and all other points are secondary in reference to the best candidate because the deal breaker is nuclear war. And we know Trump can handle that one. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, I would agree with that, Pamela. And uh, that's one of the reasons that I'm glad he's running, uh, to be honest. Thank you. Laura's in Queens. Hello, Laura. Yes, I, you know, I think, yes, Trump was a little measured this evening, but I think it's the size of the room. And he had a lot of handlers for this, this announcement tonight. Once he gets in a rally, I think he's get, he gets much more energized. But you know something, Frank, I will tell you about, about Trump, because I come from Queens, actually from his area. And you know something? He's a patriot. And I think the wistfulness that one of the other um, listeners mentioned, he's worried about this country. I think he really does love the country. Warts and all. I do think that he really has this country's best interest at heart. Um, I think he's been horribly victimized, but I'm not condoning a lot of the stuff that's happened. But the other thing that I will tell you is that it's two years away. How much more can we Americans deal with? Uh, yeah, you're right. About you're, well, that, he made that point as well in his remarks. Thank you. And that's one of the reasons that I am not going to do wall-to-wall presidential politics between now and two years from now, because uh, I'd be bored to tears doing it. And I imagine a lot of you would be bored to tears hearing it. Um, We're keeping an eye on this Artemis moon rocket launch. It is a go after some technical issues. So uh, it could happen as early as three minutes from now. And as soon as it does, we're going to bring it to you live on the air. 800-848-9222. Christine is in Manhattan. Hello, Christine. Hey, uh, I'm not hearing anything about the coattails of of issues that Trump brought to light, for instance, critical race theory. Uh, do you know that in the last, in this recent election, over 50% of school boards changed. Parents got up. And also school choice is a huge 
issue and also lowering the bar on education. Those are all things that Donald Trump brought to light. Also, the government going after innocents. They've dragged out people who are complaining about critical race theory and teaching basically pornography to their kids. And at school board meetings, these parents have been dragged out. Democratic, Republican, it doesn't matter. Uh, Trump really got people no matter right so what do you think that means what do you think that means in terms of the context of the the speech that we heard yesterday and the prospect of a presidential campaign i didn't hear any of that and i i really thought he would he would he would reach out um and i'm disappointed i thought he would really bring out the the quieter grassroots victims of all this stuff that's going on all right. Thank you, Christine. 800-848-9222. We'll continue with your calls in uh, just a minute. As it stands now, we are under a minute away from the launch of this Artemis moon rocket. It is a go for launch after some early technical issues. Supposed to launch about 43 minutes ago, but it is apparently all good for now and a matter of seconds at this point. Let's listen. The Space Launch System is now counting down to lift off of Orion on its maiden voyage to the moon. Launch team can no longer recycle the count. Sound suppressor water now flowing under the ML. And here we go. Hydrogen burn-off igniters initiated. Seven, six, five, four-stage engines start. Three, two, one. Boosters in ignition. And liftoff of Artemis 1. We rise together back to the moon and beyond. Well, that is exciting. NASA has launched the ALS rocket back to the moon and beyond indeed. Uh, The audio you're hearing is uh, from NASA, Cape Canaveral, the Kennedy Space Center in Florida. This is pretty exciting. Pretty exciting, and Artemis is off to the moon, and hopefully that means that manned missions to the moon will be just a matter of time. So this moon rocket is a go. Very exciting. All right, we'll take a quick break. You want to respond to uh, the Artemis mission or to the Trump announcement? You're welcome to do so. 800-848-9222, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. No need to 
the countdown starts. This is The Other Side of Midnight, uh, talking space, talking uh, President Trump's announcement that he will be running for president again. Um, a couple other interesting space tidbits. Maybe I'll save that for next hour. No guests today, so it's just you and me. Uh, so there's going to be plenty of time for uh, for us to take calls, for me to tell stories that are probably a little bit too long, and a bunch of other things that are on my agenda. 800-848-9222. Uh, why don't we do the gallant thing and allow some of the ladies that are holding to be heard first, and then we'll go to whoever's been holding the longest, with the exception of E. Frank, who nobody's really in a hurry to hear from. Maria is in Manhattan. Hello, Maria. Hello, Frank. How are you? Great. Thank you. Great. Thanks for taking the call. I do have something unique to say about um, President Trump. Um, You know, see, people don't seem to realize that he, or, or they don't want to acknowledge that he is a man of God. And because he's a man of God, he is a man of confidence. Now, he already had confidence humanly because of, you know, all the things he's done and what he's made of and how he is and his personality. But his true confidence comes from his spirituality. So a man of God running this country is what is going to make it right because Right now, it is being ruled by Satan, our entire world, not just our country, and the Bible clearly states this. And the person who is portraying president right now, whose name I don't even speak, uh, is a person of uh, the opposite of God. Okay, he's a fake Catholic, and I can say that because I'm a devout Catholic, and I know what a true Catholic is. And by the way, I know you like um, history. Did you know that George Washington was a Catholic? Most people think he was a Mason, but he was not. Did you know that? No, I always thought uh, John F. Kennedy was the first Catholic president. Yeah, right. I thought you'd appreciate it. The first Catholic president that we ever had is George Washington. And if you go look at the paintings that are in galleries and things, you will see paintings of him in the snow on his knees praying. And that man, he is the first president that was baptized on his deathbed as a Catholic. I always heard that he was an Anglican. That's not accurate. No. Uh, well, he, he used to be, mm-hmm. you know, prior. But prior to his death, um, he had an, a massive conversion mm. and uh, was baptized. He, he asked, he said, please, you know, before I die, I need to be baptized as a Catholic. And a Catholic priest came and baptized him as a Catholic and did all of the Catholic rituals that are necessary. And uh, yeah, yeah I, I had not I had not heard of that. I had not heard that. And I will look into that further. Maria, thank you for the call. A couple of things based on what you just said. Um, one. I uh, it is interesting that you 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 talked about uh, Trump's confidence coming from his religious beliefs. Do you know who Donald Trump's pastor was for years? Norman Vincent Peale. Norman Vincent Peale, and you 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 could see his statue at Marble uh, Church, right where Trump used to attend. Uh, Presbyterian pastor. And Norman Vincent Peale wrote the book, The Power of Positive Thinking. And I read the book, and Trump has read the book. I'm not sure how much of a big reader Trump is, but I do believe that he read that book. Because if you read that book, it sounds like it was written by Trump. I mean, and the way, the things that Trump says and does are straight out of literally the Norman Vincent Peale playbook. Second thing, 
I completely disagree with you that the country is ruled by Satan. I don't think that's the case at all. I didn't vote for President Biden. I wouldn't vote for him again. But I think to say that he is uh, Satan or influenced by Satan, I I couldn't disagree with you more. And I think we get into very dangerous territory when we start treating politics as Satan versus Christianity. Three, the thing that I really liked about George Washington's religious belief, two of them, was that Washington rarely discussed his religious and philosophical views in public, even though he could have enjoyed some perceived political benefit from doing so. He didn't do it. He didn't shove whatever his religious views were down people's throats. The other thing is Washington, and he's very clear on this, his writings are very clear on this, He intended religious freedom in this country to apply to all religions. After his inauguration, religious communities started to write to him. And he told these groups that the only being to whom Americans owed an explanation of their religious beliefs was God. When the Virginia Baptists wrote about their qualms that the Constitution didn't specifically guarantee freedom of religion, they went on to say that they knew they were in good hands with Washington at the head of the government – President Washington responded that he would never have signed the Constitution if he thought it would endanger the religious rights of any group. And there are some who believe that Washington was only speaking of religious freedom in regard to Christian denominations, but that wasn't true. Uh, He wrote to a Jewish congregation in Rhode Island. This is what he wrote. It is now no more that toleration is spoken of as if it was by the indulgence of one class of people that another enjoyed the exercise of their inherent natural rights. For happily, the government of the United States, which gives to bigotry no sanction, to persecution no assistance, requires only that they they who live under its protection should demean themselves as good citizens in giving it on all occasions their effectual support. So um, he uh, was a very interesting guy and a very smart guy and obviously a very skilled military leader. But um, he attended services to all sorts of churches and didn't seem to express much preference. I didn't know about that situation that Maria alluded to before he died. But he appeared to express very little preference as to the religion that was practiced by his slaves. And so uh, religion offered a lot of comfort to slaves. And some enslaved people were Christian. uh, Some were Quakers, Baptists, Methodists. Uh, Caesar, who was an enslaved field worker in Virginia, was also a minister who preached to the local black community. And some slaves may have continued African religious traditions or blended a variety of all sorts of spiritual beliefs into their daily lives. And Washington did nothing to, um, you know, to, to tamp that down at all. He didn't say, oh, you have to be Christian or anything like that. And you know what he bought for his wife in 1789? A Bible, a Bible. And um, he was an interesting guy, but he was a Freemason. He was a member of the Order of Freemasons going back to 752. As far as that Catholic conversion, uh, that's something that I had not heard, but it is interesting. And I'm going to look at it very closely because I do consider myself a student of uh, George Washington's life and his presidency. Not an expert by any stretch, just a student. All right. Uh, Those of you that are holding, we'll get to you. I have a bunch of other things that I want to get to as well. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Until next hour, in the words of the great Bob Barker, help control the pet population. Make sure you get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. 
This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Rogers City, which I believe is in Michigan, a rare tiebreaker for a local election was decided by drawing slips of paper yesterday. Tamine Adair, as actually two days ago, Tamine Adair and Brittany Vanderwall were both candidates for the council of Rogers City. Each of them got 616 votes last week. And uh, there was we we saw what happened on video. It doesn't really do much radio wise, but we saw what happened when they had this tiebreakers uh, tiebreaker. All the two candidates had to do was draw a piece of paper that said elected. And Adair was the one who got the lucky piece of paper. And the loser, Brittany Vanderwall, said congrats. And after the two unfolded their slips of paper and exchanged a hug. Do good work. I'll see you. In two years. I like that degree of civility, number one. What I'm not sure I like is that method of settling tied elections. See, in small local races, when the turnout can come down to a few hundred people, there are all sorts of ways that ties get decided. Rogers City has 2,900 people, and you may have ties when you have that, that few people. If this goes back to a 1954 Michigan election law, that says when a, when local races come to a tie, it's up to chance to decide who gets the seat. And the county clerk ensures that the folded slips look identical. Each candidate then draws a slip from a box with the one who draws the elected slip deemed legally elected to the office. And um, the county clerk said it happens more than you might think. She recalls overseeing two other tiebreaker drawings for local elections in the county in the last decade. This is just in Michigan, just in this one county. Also this year, a local school board race in Heartland Township, which is located in Livingston County, was decided by the same procedure after candidates tied for a seat at 5,264 votes each. Now, that's not that's not an insignificant amount of votes, 5,264. Last year, in Ingham County, a 150 to 150 tie vote in the Leslie City Council election also ended by chance. According to the county clerk, she said that drawing is usually a cordial process. That was certainly the case in Rogers City. And they, she said that usually the other person will graciously congratulate the winner. And I think that's great. I wish we had that in at every level of government. But I don't know about this method of settling tie votes in this manner. You don't want to know what other states do? Uh, sometimes it's a flip of a coin. Sometimes it's a hand of poker. 
Officials with Virginia State Board of Election gathered four years ago in Richmond and drew a name out of a ceramic ball, a ceramic bowl. The winner, the Republican, got a seat in the state's House of Delegates. The loser went home because that race was the result of a tie, 11,608 to 11,608. I see all these tied elections, and I just think, boy, there's got to be at least one person that was thinking about voting that day and didn't. And it leads me to think, what do you think the best way to settle a tied election is? It's, um, I think that, you know, look, we've done segments on this show about sortition, about maybe uh, instead of electing politicians to make laws, we should pick politicians or pick legislators, I should say, the way we pick jurors, just totally at random, out of a random box. And if sortition is something that, you know, you're comfortable with, then maybe these chance drawings are okay. But I wonder if there's a better way than a coin flip or picking a name out of a hat or a, a hand of poker I wonder if there's a better way to settle a tied election. What do you think? Because there's envelope draws, there's coin flips, and there's um, all sorts of other things. Now, the most famous tie in the history of American politics was not for a local city council race. It was the election of 1800 where the presidency was tied. It was an electoral vote tie between Thomas Jefferson and John Adams. Now, Almost every year, I predict that's what's going to happen. Why do I do that? Because, as I said, I think on Thursday or Friday's show, my method of predictions is just to make the craziest, most outlandish prediction possible. And if it comes true, everybody remembers you predicted it. And if it doesn't come true, um, nobody expects that prediction to come true. So that's why every year my prediction is an electoral vote tie. Watch. You'll see this year or or in two years. If I'm still on the radio in two years, I will be predicting an electoral vote tie. If you look at things that I've posted on social media in 2016, 2012, 2008, actually maybe not 2008 because that was pretty clear. But um, you'll see that I have a long track record of this. But the most famous electoral vote tie was 1800. Aaron Burr and Thomas Jefferson both tied in the Electoral College because the founders really didn't take into account – that there would be political parties and that all these partisan electors would be voting the way that their parties wanted them to. And obviously that's how we got the 12th Amendment. This did happen on recently, not in real life, but on the television program Veep. In a democracy such as ours, it falls to the people to choose their president. And that is what you attempted to do last night. As it turned out, there's a virtually unprecedented tie in the Electoral College, a somewhat arcane institution that many scholars believe we should do away with. I wish to say on a personal note that although there is a tie, I am most privileged to have won the popular vote. And though this tie may be frustrating, I want to assure the American people our country is not leaderless. No matter who you voted for, I am your president. Thank you all. God bless you, and may God bless the United States of America. Needless to say, the president, Selena Meyer, played brilliantly by Julia Louis-Dreyfus, was not at all happy. And, uh, you know, it could happen. You know, we see how tightly divided the country is now. It's not impossible to see a scenario where that happens. Now, if that happens, the House gets to pick the president, 
and the Senate gets to pick the vice president. So it is possible that you could end up with someone that was not your running mate as your partner in government. I, I don't know how likely that is, but it is certainly possible. How do you think ties for any office, city council, obviously in the Constitution, there's specific provisions for the presidency. But let's say the race for state legislature or Congress or state Senate, whatever the case may be. Let's say it's a tie in either the primary or the general election. How do you think that tie should be settled? Do you like these games of chance or do you think, I don't know, maybe there's another way? Maybe the other members of that legislative body should get to be the tiebreaker. Maybe somebody else should. What would you do? Does Ty go to the runner? Does Ty go to the incumbent? Does Ty go to the challenger? Maybe chance is the best way. Curious what you think. 800-848-9222. You're welcome to comment on anything that we've covered thus far. But to me, that really got me thinking when I saw that story about this election decided by pulling out a piece of paper. I mean, you can make pretty consequential decisions as a member of the city council. So to think it's accomplished, the final decision is made by chance. Wondering if there's an, a better way. I don't know what that better way is, but uh, I'm, wonder, I'm wondering if there is one. You know what it is? I, um, I worked on a special election in February of 2009 here in New York. Was it 2009? Yeah. And it was, uh, it was on paper. And this was when all the elections were held in New York on machines. There was some special uh, there's some special craziness in that election, as always happens when I'm involved in an election. And uh, that election ended up taking place on paper. And there was a recount because it was a close election. And do you know what the rules in New York said at the time about paper elections where the count recorded by the Board of Elections workers did not match the number of ballots in a given election district? I'm going to blow your mind with this. What it said at the time, and I think it still does say this, was that the clerk, the chief clerk of the Board of Elections and the deputy clerk, one Democrat, one Republican, they'd have to take turns in the county where the election took place. Let's say there was 40 votes recorded and there were 50 votes cast. What they would do is they would have to reach behind their back and take out a ballot and take out the number of ballots that are over. Meaning if there were 50 votes that were recorded and there were 58 votes cast, they'd have to discard eight ballots at random. So New York does have this same kind of element of randomness. That's the only election I've ever seen it at play in. I'm sure there are others. That's the only one I've ever seen in New York. 800-848-9222 if you have a thought on this, or if you want to comment on Artemis or anything else we're covering, 800-848-9222. Uh, also, um, there's a bunch of other interesting stories. We will we will have some time on this. Uh, let me say hello to Janine in Manhattan. Hello, Janine. Hi, Frank. Your programming is so exciting. Uh, listening to that Artema shot actually blasts off from Cape Canaveral here in Manhattan on a rainy night. Uh, was as great as you're letting us hear the lunar eclipse from Dr. Sky out in Phoenix, Arizona. And those are the two things that take part in space, you know? Uh, Well, thank you, uh, Janine. Appreciate that very much. You know what else, Frank? Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you're speaking of the power of positive thinking and Dr. Norman Vincent Peale. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, Donald Trump was actually married uh, to the actress in Marvel Collegiate. That's Church. right. Marla Maples. Marla. You're exactly yes. right. But it was that church. Yeah, no, uh, that's, that's where that's where they actually met. They actually met at Marble Collegiate uh, as well. It's really? a, a great observation, oh. Janine. Thank you very much for calling. I appreciate your nice uh, okay, compliments. God bless. Thank you. Bye Likewise, eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Martin is in Las Vegas. Hello, Martin. Hi, hi there, Frank. Right. I'm Swiss Italian. Do you know any good Italian restaurants in Vegas? Well, yeah, in Vegas. Yes. I actually okay. Do know. Listen. You, you do. Yes. Listen. <laughs> One of the best restaurants I've ever been to in my life. Piero's. Yeah. Piero's. Have you been to Piero's? Okay. Uh, no, but I know of the bootlegger. The bootlegger. What are the bootleggers? It's an Italian restaurant. I don't know if it's still there, but it was there in 2017, I believe. Where in in and, Las uh, Vegas? It, oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not up on that. But I will tell you, if you can get to Piero's, it's closed now. But if you can get there tomorrow night, it's um, it's it's on uh, Convention Center Drive. It's downtown. Yeah. This yeah. is a it's an incredible restaurant. It's an incredible restaurant. Okay. I went there with my wife and my sister in law about a year and a half right. ago. We had dinner, and my sister-in-law, Sharon, says to me at the conclusion of the meal, she said, um, she said, this restaurant, more than anything else that I've experienced, has made me want to come back to Las Vegas. And I feel the same way. I can't wait to get back just to go to that restaurant. Uh, well, okay, that's that's interesting. I'll let, I'll check it out. Listen, because uh, I've had uh, Italian downtown Las Vegas. Uh, I wanted to mention something that uh, I picked up on uh, on Artemis. Uh, the technology is uh, actually uh, s- screwed, and I'll say that bluntly. Uh, ever since Werner von Braun brought t- the rocket technology to this country, unfortunately, is no longer with us. They've been screwing around with, at NASA for a way to get out into outer space using fuel 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 rockets. And uh, these rockets uh, resulted in the uh, teacher dying in front of Reagan while he was watching the, the, the right the, Sally uh, Ride. Sally Ride. Right, yeah. she it blew up. Oh no, 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 no. yeah, yeah, no, no, it was not Sally Ride. Right, uh, uh, the name of the teacher yeah. escapes me. I'll have to look that up. Yeah, right. On the challenge. The point is, the point is, I I went to I I, I talked to George George Norrie once on radio. Krista McCullough. Krista McCullough. That was her name. Right. He yeah right he had a guy on his uh, on his show that was talking about uh, outer space he was supposed to be an expert what he didn't say was there they that uh, he uh, he had uh, no idea what uh, rocket uh, what kind of uh, fuel you would use to get into outer space they're all they're still talking about uh, uh, solid fuel I mean liquid fuel I w- I mentioned to him that there's something called nuclear power. He almost went through the roof when I said that. I said that's what the only way you're going going to get into outer space is using nuclear power. There's no way in hell that you're going to go past the moon with fuel because it runs out. But nuclear rods don't run out. They stay in the spaceship. And the fact is that uh, this state here closed down a nuclear power plant that I took a tour of. So this state, uh, I should say California when I was there, uh, they uh, they actually uh, they're they're afraid they're they're afraid of nuclear energy, 
But the point I'm trying to make is that there's no way you're going to get into outer space to visit, let's say, Mars, which would be a disaster, uh, and then uh, and, and, and come back. Let's put it that way. You have to come back. And uh, I, I can never understand that NASA, I think they're there for a paycheck, and they've been there for years picking up money from the taxpayer at uh, the taxpayer's expense. Well, look, thank you, Martin. I think any that can be said of any government agency, right? Um, I think NASA does some fine work, right? Uh, so I, I really do. Well, we'll get into that uh, throughout the course of the of the program. 800-848-9222. Well, we have a first-timer. From the state of Maryland, hello, Ronnie. Hi, I've been listening tonight. Um, I can, I couldn't get through, but I wanted to make a comment about Trump. Okay, go I, ahead, Ronnie. As a Democrat, I'm real happy that he's going to run. I hope he runs because he can't win. And I can't believe so many people have been manipulated by him. They give him money. and he he could care less about the people, any people, except maybe his two friends that he has. But yeah, I think. I would love. Sorry, go ahead. I would love to. I would love to see him campaign in an orange jumpsuit. <laughs> I wouldn't hold my breath on that one, Ronnie. But I think that what you're describing is the way a lot of people that didn't vote for Trump, including Democrats, Republicans, and independents, a lot of them feel that Trump is in some ways the weakest candidate that the Republicans could run. So I, that's one of the reasons, and thank you for the call, Ronnie. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll call again. Uh, that's one of the reasons I think um, some people are looking for an alternative. And it's one of the reasons I, if it's Trump-Biden rematch, I don't see Trump getting elected. Because I don't see a lot of the people that voted for Biden, at least not enough, changing their mind to vote for Trump instead. I don't. I'm sorry. 800-848-9222. I want to get back to that idea of what do you do if it's a tied election? How do you break the tie? Are you comfortable with doing it by chance? I can't help but think there's got to be a more creative way. John in Queens, what do you think? Okay. um, I suggest that if you put all the um, votes together and you pick out 101 or whatever will be an odd number, and you go through those 101 votes and see how it comes out from there, it can't be a tie. Well, but what if there's an even number of votes cast? Well, you take from the uh, whole bunch, let's say it's 5,000 each, you take from the 10,000 somehow, and you pick them out, it's 100 of them. Uh, you know, by chance. Oh, oh, oh I see. Them. I see. Oh, so so you're saying um, take out a, a random odd yes. sample. And yes. let, let's say you take out uh, 13 ballots. If the if the election's tied 10,000 to 10,000, just take out 13 ballots. Whoever wins based on those 13, that person wins. That's the idea. John, I don't think that that suggestion is any worse than any of these other ones. In fact, I think in some ways it might be better. I, I don't think that's the worst suggestion I've heard. What what makes that any better or worse than a coin flip, right? It's still random. It's still a game of chance. I don't know. I, I kind of feel like, uh, you know how in football, if two teams have an identical record, the the um, and it's you have to pick one of them to go to the playoffs— 
the first thing they look at is if those two teams have played one another. If they've never played one another, then they look at common opponents. Who did better against common opponents? I'm looking for something like that, right? Is there some sort of tie-breaking mechanism that isn't entirely left to chance? Or do we want it left to chance? Is this moving more in a a sortition-like direction? 800-848-9222. I got to mention this, and I'm going to continue with your calls throughout throughout the whole program. So don't worry. We will have a chance to get to everybody. There was um, an AI-powered hand, an ad-free search engine, and edible tape. Do you know what those are? I feel like Johnny Carson doing Karnak, right? Uh, An AI-powered hand, an ad-free search engine, and edible tape that's microwave-safe. See here? Uh, Things you'd find... In Sid Rosenberg's office. Uh, But anyway, no, those are all the best inventions of 2022, according to Time magazine. They went and ranked uh, some of the the best inventions of 2022. And those three things all uh, fit the bill. There's a whole bunch Consumer electronics, uh, fitness, food and drink, green energy. In fact, I'm going to link to this article, if you want to read it, on my Facebook page at uh, facebook.com slash moranofan. That's facebook.com slash moranofan. There's some cool stuff here. Um, The best inventions of 2022, a personal elder care robot, the Esper Hand, a field of vision device, soccer for the visually impaired, a smart slate for Braille learners called Polly. Um, I think I was thinking about this the other day because my wife made some, um, I don't know, like a wrap, almost like a burrito, but it was really kind of a wrap. And this wrap was falling out all over the place. And all I could think is, where is the edible tape? Where is the edible tape? We need this edible tape. How this edible tape, which I think is one of the great inventions of all time, You know how they use that expression, the greatest thing since sliced bread? I have to be honest with you. I have never really thought sliced bread was that great of an invention. Now, YouTube, that's a great invention, okay? I mean, that's really something. Sliced bread, that's the great invention that we compare everything to? Was it that much of a burden to just slice the bread off the loaf? Oh, my goodness. Think of the time that I'm saving by having bread that's pre-sliced for me. Now, edible tape. That's a real invention. I predict, and I'm very rarely wrong on this, at least on the predictions that people remember. I predict that once edible tape is ubiquitous, which it should be, people will be saying for the next hundred years that this is the greatest invention since edible tape. And I think uh, that it absolutely is a game changer, an absolute game changer. Here was the inventor of uh, edible tape, Tyler Guarino, on the Johns Hopkins YouTube page explaining why she invented what they call tasty tape. Our co-founder, Erin, she's on the basketball team during undergrad, so she was always having these quick on-the-go lunches, which often included wraps and burritos. Her lunch was ending up all over herself, and that's when it came to her that we have a perfect solution to this problem. And... That's how Tasty Tape 
was born. But they went through um, 200 of the what they consider the best inventions of 2022. And there's some cool stuff here. But uh, I think this is actually the front page of Time magazine this week. But I think in my view, there's no doubt about it. It's edible tape. Edible tape, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, I'd love to know if you look at the list what you think is the best invention. They have um, things for, you know, AI, apps and software, automotive, all sorts of things. I'm still waiting for somebody to invent my uh, fingerprint um, car starter. Although somebody told me that the Tesla may do that. But I'm not going to get a Tesla because I understand they don't have AM radios, and I need that idea, that AM radio. 800-848-9222. Roger is in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Roger, how should we break tied elections? Okay. The announcement uh, is made that uh, the following Tuesday, registered voters who did not vote have an opportunity to have their choice possibly made roger i love this idea you're talking about like an election overtime where the people that didn't get to vote are going to get to decide the tie yes it's almost like a runoff kind of well uh i'm not sure a runoff is where it's just a redo isn't that just a redo well a runoff the way it is in most states including georgia is the top two candidates get to get to face off and, you know, everybody that got to vote in the first round gets to still vote in the second round. But I like your idea. I like yeah, your no, idea. Yeah, no, this is better. Those who do get them off of their off their couches and say, all right, you guys who didn't vote, if, if you're registered to vote, come on, do something. Roger, candidate. Uh, this has a strong this is a strong candidate for my best idea of the year 2022. This is a great idea. Oh. I am going to I'm, I'm not being facetious at all. I actually think right, great. municipalities around the country should be adopting this. I love this solution. Think about what Roger's saying. And thank you, because it's not left totally to chance. Right. Um, it still incentivizes people to vote because there's no guarantee that the vote is going to be a tie. The candidates get to go out and make their case to the voters, and it's a great way to reach out to people that didn't want to vote in the first round. I love it, actually. Now, obviously, there's some additional cost to the taxpayer that a coin flip doesn't involve, but, you know, coin flip is not not cost-free to the taxpayer. Who do you think is paying for that coin? You are. We'll continue with your calls in a moment. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
The OJ's love train. This apparently, uh, from what the Mar-a-Lago partygoers say, is another favorite of DJ Donald Trump. See, you always thought DJ Trump stood for Donald John Trump. No, it stands for disc jockey Trump. Apparently he's really enjoying DJing these parties. And uh, this is one of the songs that is always uh, near the top of his playlist. All right. 800-848-9222. Talking about how we should break election ties. Talking about what the best inventions of the year 2022 are. I'll tell you, you know, what I wish somebody would invent. I, um, you know, my son, my son is uh, nine days away from being a year old. He has is now transitioning out of formula, right? So he's been drinking formula and so about two weeks ago, we started mixing it with whole milk, cow's milk. And I know a lot of the non-dairy people, the Kenneths of the world and so forth, are going to be upset with that. But uh, he seems to be enjoying it. Figured it's a good way to get off, you know, baby formula. So now I mix it. I do about half a half, half and half, maybe maybe two-thirds formula, one-third whole milk. And I like it. I like it. I feel like I'm almost um, mixing a cocktail for him. When I put the baby formula with the whole milk, I almost feel like I uh, sometimes I actually use a cocktail shaker. I'll get a cocktail shaker, throw some ice in there, some baby formula in there, some whole milk. And I'll shake it and strain it into his uh, bottle, which apparently he's not even supposed to be using. He should have made the transition to sippy cup. And while he's uh, very on target in a lot of other stages of development, the sippy cup is one that he has yet to embrace. We give him the sippy cup. He won't drink from it, but he does like that bottle still. So we'll see. We're going to have to work on that. I think maybe maybe for his first birthday, we'll give him a bottle as a birthday gift. Oh, excuse me, a sippy cup as a birthday gift. Say, sorry, kid, you're out of luck. You got to use the sippy cup now. We'll see where that goes. But uh, he is making that transition from uh, bottle to sippy cup. He is incorporating milk into his liquid diet at this point. 800-848-9222. You know, the thing about – everyone always said this, but the thing about having a, uh, a, a, you know, a young – child of this age, is there are all these weird bruises that show up, right? So I, when I, I woke up around the same time he woke up from his nap yesterday afternoon around one thirty two o'clock, and I, he was already downstairs with his mother, and he had like a, a red scratch under his, under his left eye. I said, what did he do here? What is this? And uh, she said, I don't know. She said he might have scratched himself while he was sleeping, and I felt his fingernails... And none of his fingernails seemed sharp enough to scratch him. And then, you know, he he walks around, he crawls around, he tries to, he's not walking without assistance, so he's got to hold on to something. So he holds on to things and then he falls and then he'll cry sometimes, sometimes he won't. So, you know, he he lives a rough and tumble lifestyle. But as of last night, and I was with him just about the entire afternoon, but last night as of around 6 I, I'm looking at his face. Maybe I shouldn't say this because I don't want uh, ACS coming to our house. But under his – now, keep in mind, he's got under his left eye a scratch, what looks like a scratch. Under his right eye, he's got a bruise. It looks like a uh, – almost like a black eye. And I don't know what it was from because I was watching him and I didn't see him – I didn't see him uh, – you know, I didn't see him fall and hit his face or anything. But, uh, for, you know, he looks like a boxer. He's got a scratch under one eye, a black eye, or a bruise under the right eye. It's a leading a rough and tumble existence. My wife usually doesn't listen this 
late into the show. So I'm hoping she didn't hear that because she gets very upset when I share anything about us, you know, about about anything that's gone even slightly off of perfection in terms of child rearing. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. David in the Bronx has been holding a while. Let me get to David. Hello, David. Yes, he sure has. Well, thank you for taking my call. All right. So as far as this voting issue, if it's a tie, I think a runoff is probably the best solution. I don't think it's fair to have it only open to people that didn't vote the first time. If you didn't care enough to vote the first time, why should there be a special provision for you afterwards? That doesn't make sense to me. But um, Well, this would be pretty Ron- rare, David. I mean, these elections are a tie, you know, pretty infrequently. Yeah, but still, I mean, it, it doesn't seem fair to just exclude people who actually took the time. Fair to enough, vote fair enough, fair enough. Um, but on, on Donald Trump, um, as you know, I'm no fan. You kidding? But in order, yeah, I know it's shocking. Yeah. But seriously, to whoever is going to be the next president, whether it's Biden, Trump, or DeSantis, or whoever, they have to have. And I think we learned this from this election that just happened. They have to have a positive vision. They have to have a plan. And pointing fingers at the things that have gone wrong, like you said, isn't going to fly. So whoever can figure out how to pre- present their their you know way to fix the economy and the thing in Ukraine and where, whatever else we're going to be dealing with in two years is the person that can win and should win. And I don't see Donald Trump being capable of doing that. You know he's he's set in his ways. He walks off of a routine. He's kind of like Ric Flair. Every match is the same. <laughs> you know. So I, I just don't see him capable of changing. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, Ric Flair, every match has him going, flying over the turnbuckle. His uh, blonde hair is usually red with blood, and it's all the same. And I, I think it's the same thing with Trump. Well, look, I, um, I, I'm not sure. Thank you, David. I'm not sure if I'm more offended as a Ric Flair supporter or a Trump supporter. I th- beat the man. You got to beat the man. I, I will agree. That um, even when Ric Flair was in his prime, and I think Ric Flair is one of those wrestlers that stayed a little too long. First of all, he just had his last match uh, two months ago. That's ridiculous. But I'm saying even after, even when he retired the first time, I think he stayed a little too long. Um, I will agree the last maybe 10, 15 years of, of his career, what you said might have been true. But a lot of it was great stuff. A lot of it was very effective athleticism. In earlier in his career, and this is one of my great frustrations with what happened with when Hulk Hogan went to WCW. When Hogan went to WCW in 1994, wrestling fans finally got the match that they were waiting for. But it happened in 1994. It happened probably 10 years after it should have, right? They were... I don't know. Flair was 45 at that point. Imagine if that match happened when they were when when Flair was 35 would have been a totally different situation. If you look at some of the matches that Ric Flair has had in his career, some of them were an hour long. Uh, Great matches against people like Ricky Steamboat, Dusty Rhodes, Harley Race. There are not a lot of wrestlers um, who are household (laughs) names today that could do an hour long match. Some certainly could. Um, even, but it's not something you see much these days. So I think you're being a little unfair to 
Ric Flair. 800-848-9222. Speaking of Rick's, let us say hello to Rick in Elmwood Park. Hello, Rick. How you doing? Um, I think we should defund NASA because what they did was they got rid of all the good scientists from the original uh, space flight projects, and they hired a bunch of scientists that were willing to go along with the global warming scam. And you can find on YouTube Walter Cunningham, Apollo 7 lunar module pilot, debunking the global warming scam piece by piece with data and graphs. He does a wonderful job. Yeah, I will take a look in that at that, um, Rick. If you remember, maybe you can email to me. But I'm actually, I'm looking it up right now. It is interesting. Um, he, uh, he is certainly uh, a legendary lunar module pilot on the Apollo 7 mission. So uh, Walter Cunningham, no ta- whatever his views are on global warming, I don't know. But at 90 years old, you can't take away the incredible role he's played in the early days of the space program. But I'll look into that. I didn't know that he said that about global warming. 800-848-9222. Michael in Poughkeepsie. Hello, Michael. Hi, good evening. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hey, Justin, here. Yeah, I, I think tied elections should be settled by uh, answering five questions on the Constitution. You know, that's not a bad uh, idea either. But, you know, don't doesn't that open up the question process to bias? Or who gets to write the questions? Uh, well, yeah, you'd have to form a committee. <laughs> I didn't really think about that. Yeah, but I like the um, idea. I like the idea. Yeah. Yeah, I could see doing that. Uh, my comments on Trump are this. I worked for Mr. Trump at one point on Native New Yorker. I never really cared for the man. I mean, uh, but I will say uh, a lot of his policies, I think, would have been very good for the country. And I don't think he was ever given a chance. From day one, um, it was all about preventing him from ever having a win or anything that he did that was beneficial to the citizens. Um, it was poo-pooed, or the media just did not report on it. I mean, the uh, uh, the fact that he reformed the uh, prison system and got a lot of people released uh, kind of went unknown to a lot of people. And I think it was, happened to be a, a pretty good idea he had there. It wasn't his idea. Obama had talked about doing it and never got to it. Yeah, uh, Michael, I would agree with you. I think uh, the country really suffered because of the, uh, many of the president's critics didn't want to work yeah. with him. And uh, I think that's a real shame because I think Trump had um, his partners in government wanted to work with him. I think he would have been very eager to make some great deals and do some interesting things. And you saw that with the First Step Act, right? That was a bipartisan right. piece of legislation. And I think you could have seen a lot more of that. That's a great point, Michael. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Uh, let me say hello to uh, Eddie in Babylon. Hello, Eddie. Uh, Frank. Thank you, Frank. I, I'm a nuclear medicine technologist, and I, I don't blow sunshine. I'm really serious with you. Can I get continuing education credits for listening to your show? <laughs> <laughs> you are. I got to call you Professor Frank from now on. A uh, couple things. My sister Kathy, she's she's got her MS in nutrition, and goat's milk is the best thing uh, for a child and everything. Just really? My I yeah, never oh, heard yeah, that. Yeah. I didn't know that. I'm allergic to milk, and I heard recently you're actually there are two types of cows. And you're allergic to one of them. So uh, very allergic, uh, very allergic food. Okay, I had a lodge meeting tonight, and it's discussed for two hours on George Washington. Oh. What a nice, quiet man he was. He was, he was raised in the Alexandria Lodge in Virginia. 
They made him worship master, only attended seven meetings, but he really approved of it. He took his oath on a Masonic Bible uh, with the full apron. And now on to the probational period. Uh, the runoff, you're talking about politics? How about a, pro- how about a probational period uh, and vet them and have almost a cabinet? They can dis- discuss their policies and strategies. And it's like politics. I always say to myself, lucky in love, lucky in gambling. Ugh, I haven't won a lot of money. And one more <laughs> thing. Uh, Professor Frank, Donald Trump's religious beliefs. I was listening to the radio years ago, and uh, an African-American priest came on, preacher, pastor, and he got into a conversation about how they rented a room at Trump Towers, uh, or whatever Trump's holding was. And they were in there, the door was open, might have been a small conference room having a conference. And a man walks past, he comes back and he looks and he comes in. It's Donald Trump. He said he sat there for an hour and a half, hour and 45, talking about his religious beliefs, how they grew. He had none. You know, your parents take you to church for younger. Basically, you're bored. I used to pretend I was asleep, almost dead, and my mother would go, oh, he needs more sleep. So Donald's in there, and he sits down, and he, he genuinely talks to them about how his his love for the country and, you know, in a constitution, it says we're we are protected under the, the divine providence of God. He talked about his family. He said, God first, family, then country of that order. And I really do believe that uh, the man's not in it for money. Arnold Schwarzenegger said that when you become rich, you become yourself. I think he's exactly who he is, maybe a little over the top, but you want to be over the top of Putin, you know, and Iran and these other companies that uh, countries that put us all at risk. Well, no, as I've said, I I, and Eddie, thank you for the call and your nice compliments. I appreciate that. Um, As I've said, I think one of Trump's great strengths was the foreign policy uh, area for some of the reasons that you stated. But I have to be very clear because uh, you and um, the other nice lady, I think it was Maria who called from Manhattan, bringing up the religious beliefs of certain presidents or presidential candidates. Do you know what I I care as a voter? I I mean, I'm interested because I'm interested in people in everybody's religious beliefs. But do you know what I care as a voter about Donald Trump's religious beliefs? Not at all. You know what I care about Biden's religious beliefs? Not at all. Because we do not live in a theocracy. This is not Iran. It's not even Israel. Um, this is a country where there is a separation of church and state. So um, to me, it doesn't matter to me as long as Trump or Biden or Romney is not trying to impose their religious values on other people. It doesn't matter what their religious beliefs are. As long as you're not keeping me from practicing my faith, then great. Great. But um if you're going to run and uh, you're talking about implementing Sharia law, for instance, then that's another matter, right? But if you want to worship, you know, there was a city councilman recently in New York, and I didn't care for this guy for other reasons, but he was a pagan lord, right? That was his title, pagan lord. He was a pagan. And um, I, I don't think that was disqualifying at all. They tried to embarrass him. They uh, they ran a front page story on him dressed in some pagan robes or something, trying to embarrass him. And you know what? I, I think he handled it well. He said, look, you know, we have freedom of religion in America, even in New York. And uh, I think that uh, that should not affect whether that doesn't affect whether I vote for someone. 
So it makes no difference to me what anybody's religious beliefs are as long as they don't interfere with mine. Uh, atheist or you believe in 30 gods, polytheistic, monotheistic, whatever. 800-848-9222. Dave is in Dumont. Hello, Dave. Hey, Frank. How's it going? It's going. Good. Uh, I have to uh, correct you on your Hulk Hogan uh when his time was up at the W, it was then the WWF. He was still there in 1994, but he left. Vince McMahon let him go sometime in 1994. And he was basically without work except for his Thunder in Paradise, which he might have been shooting down in Orlando. Uh, up until when I met him, I met him at his friend's gym in Clearwater Beach, Florida, in April of 1996, and he was not with any organization then. And it was about three months later, into July of 1996, where he got hooked up with the WCW and then became Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Well, no, no, but that's not that's not accurate. Um, in, it he, is accurate. No, well, hang on, I Dave. Him. Dave, Dave you, I, 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 you could have him next to you right now. I'm telling you, it's not accurate. He started appearing on television on WCW in March of 1994. He headlined Starcade, which is the granddaddy of them all, their premier pay-per-view event, and you can look this up, in December of 1994, beating The, uh, the Butcher. And so he was wrestling for WCW beginning in 1994. You could have met him in 96, but he was wrestling for WCW starting in 1994. Well, I watched both wrestling shows, uh, the um, Monday uh, Night Raw, starting started in 1992 or 1993, and then uh, Nitro came on at 8 o'clock at night. Right. Well, a Eastern little Eastern time. Yeah. In 1995, and um, I thought that I thought he was in between gigs. I mean, I didn't. I I didn't know he was. Maybe maybe I am wrong. Yeah. Well, so I mean, you could if you look up, for instance, the main event at Starcade '94. You'll see uh, the, uh, tr- it was a tr- Starcade 94, a triple threat. You can see, I just looked it up. The promotional poster for Starcade 94 has three wrestlers on it Hulk Hogan, Vader, they called him Big Van Vader back then, and Sting. And um, he, did, he did wrestle um, in 1994. Now, it's true, the Hollywood Hogan gimmick that did develop a little bit later, but he was with the promotion beginning in 1994. Uh, but, um, you know, it's kind of cool that you got to hang out with him regardless uh, of when when he was with nineteen WCW. Uh, Matt, I mean, I just looked this up, so I don't need your confirmation. Well, but Well, actually, the first time he wrestled in WCW, Hulk Hogan, after leaving WWE was June of 1994 at an airing of WCW. Yeah, well, I Saturday said he night. started appearing on television in March right. of 94. But he did wrestle Ric Flair. In WWE in 1991. Is that right? Well, I yeah. guess that's right. That was around the whole Tuesday in Texas thing. Right. But um, that wasn't for the world championship, right? No, no, Yeah, no. I'm I, talking about a world championship. I, I was glad I got to see Flair in WWE when they used to record uh, Saturday Superstars, Wrestling Superstars. Yeah, I like that show. Flair wrestled three times. Oh, that's cool. Because they used to tape it right, for like remember, weeks yeah. in advance. Yeah, yeah it was kind of cool. Yeah, uh, but um, I, I don't think anything that Dave just said or that Matt said Makes what I said inaccurate at all. 
No. I stand by that. 800-848-9222. Do I have one more break? I've lost track here. All right, we're going to take a break, and then we'll continue. See, this is where the shows with no guests go. You don't know where they go. Goat's Milk, Wrestling Corrections, Trump, Space, George Washington's Religion. You never know, right? This is unpredictable territory. You are listening to the least predictable show in all of radio. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is Our House by Madness. A great song. If you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing on the show, just join the Facebook group. Uh, just go on Facebook and search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. I do have to caution you, though. If you're a fan of the fan page at Facebook.com slash Fan, there is an imposter. There is an imposter going around with my picture and my name, sending friend requests to people and messaging them, messaging fans of my page. Let me tell you, let me state unequivocally, I didn't put the batteries in uh, Donna's uh, megaphone yet that she gave me. If you get a friend request from me on Facebook, it is not me. I do not send friend requests, and it's not me. If I message you, you know, for anything, if you've already sent this other Frank Morano money, it's a big mistake, send it to me instead. It is not me. That is a Facebook imposter. I mean, it's very reminiscent. It's much like the Star Trek episode, The Enemy Within, where Captain Kirk had an imposter. So from now until Election Day in 2020. Actually, that is not uh, from Star Trek. That's actually President Trump. So be it. All right. Al is in Manhattan. Hello, Al. Mr. How are you doing? You okay? Uh, I'd like to think so. Thank you. You get that money I sent you at the Bogota? What? I did not. What? You must have sent it to the Facebook imposter. That's exactly right. Listen. <laughs> hey, Al, you're coming in very low. I'm going to put you back on hold and see if we can't uh, fix this somehow, okay? All right, hang on. John in White Plains, hello. Yeah, hey, listen, I got a story for you on Lincoln. Lincoln was running for a seat on the Illinois Assembly, and he had a tie. He wrestled his opponent for the job. Is that right? That, that is correct. Also, I have a second thing I have to ask you. What mm-hmm. did Lincoln keep under his hat? Um, wasn't it a speech or something? No, his other hats. <laughs> I did not know that. Uh, Lincoln yeah, was also, <laughs> I believe, a licensed bartender. Thank you. Thank you, John. All right. If you want to comment on anything we're uh, talking about. A lot to get to. There are missiles falling in Europe. There's a Jeopardy controversy. All sorts of interesting things going on. Uh, Until next hour. 
In the words of the great Barry Farber, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I am Frank Morano. I have to tell you, this week and last week, I am absolutely loving Jeopardy! Tournament of Champions Week. Now, my wife and I have a lot going on. It really, other than our whole day, our, all of our waking hours are spent watching Carmine and working. And then she adds a whole bunch of household chores that uh, that she does, the laundry and so forth. I thought I was I was contributing a lot more in the way of household chores than I appear to be. We had a uh, a difference in perception on that. I, I apparently think I'm helping a lot more than I am, and Rachel disagrees. But we're both fans of the TV show Jeopardy, and whatever we're doing, whatever Carmine's doing, it all stops at seven o'clock Eastern. For us to watch Jeopardy, because what we're seeing now is not just plain old regular Jeopardy. This is Jeopardy Tournament of Champions Week. And there, first of all, it's been great to watch. It was great to see they had one exhibition game where you had these three champions all face off against one another. I think it was Amy Burser, Matea Roach, and uh, I think it was Matt Amodio. But it was if it was not Matamodio, it was a guy that looks like Matamodio. It was a uh, youngish white guy with black hair. And Amy is the transgender contestant. Uh, and uh, Matea is the young 23, 24-year-old Canadian woman. She describes herself as queer. I don't know what that means exactly. I, I don't know if that means she's gay because I think she also might be non-binary. Ken Jennings seemed to refer to her as they in a recent clue. But it was is exciting to see that exhibition game with the three of them because it didn't really count for anything. They all had a lot of fun and they were all teasing each other. and It was fun. And there's been some major upsets because now we're in the final of finals. And you had Matea get upset. You had um, the guy I think is Matt Amodio get upset. And now there's the finals with... Um, I believe the name is uh, Jason Yee or Andy Yee and um, Amy Burser. And this guy, this professor, who looks a lot like Steve Martin. In, in our house, we call him um, Steve Martin. And so now it's like the World Series in terms of this. It's um, Andrew He. I'm sorry. Andrew He is the other guy. So it's Steve Martin, Amy Schneider, and Andrew He. And so we, we call him Steve Martin in our house. And it's been fascinating to watch. And the way it works, and Steve Martin's real name apparently is Sam Buttrey. He's a professor at, um, out in California. They're all Californians, interestingly enough. All three of them. But it's been interesting to watch 
And now it's a best of seven series. So Andrew He won the first game. Amy Schneider won the second game. All these games are competitive. It's been real fun to watch. But, and and by the way, I'm not sure if everybody finds this as exciting as I do. I do. I love it. And whenever it's final, all the questions are harder. All the clues are harder during Tournament of Champions because these aren't amateurs. These are seasoned people. And uh, whenever I can get any of the responses correct during Tournament of Champions Week, I always feel a lot smarter than I normally am. And especially if I can get final Jeopardy, which I did the other day. It's rare during Tournament of Champions Week. But there's a big controversy because fans have slammed a clue that appeared on Celebrity Jeopardy. And I have to say, I did not... Celebrity Jeopardy is the opposite of Tournament of Champions Week, meaning the clues are a little easier on Celebrity Jeopardy. And I don't remember what I was doing... um, but I, I must I missed this live, and there there was Celebrity Jeopardy with it must have been Friday Thursday or Friday I don't know uh, John Michael Higgins must have been Thursday because I think I had plans Thursday John Michael Higgins Will Wheaton and Joel Kim Booster the only one of them that I know is Will Wheaton who played Wesley on Star Trek: The Next Generation. And the host was Mayim Bialik. Here is the clue which was asked to these three actors. Uh, Oh, it was Sunday's episode. That's why I didn't see it. Okay, I didn't realize there was Jeopardy on Sunday, even Celebrity Jeopardy. Okay, I guess when it's Terminal Champions Week, everything... Goes to uh, goes to the dogs, right? That's I must have been. I must have had sixty minutes of football on. That's why I didn't see it. Okay. Here was the response. Here's the clue that has everybody upset. In 2021, fugitive Brian Laundrie ended his days in Florida's Mayakahatchee Creek area, home to these long and toothy critters. Joel. What are alligators? Yes. So the the question read. It's not really the question, but the clue read. In 2021, fugitive Brian Laundrie ended his days, meaning the guy killed himself, in Florida's um, Mayakachi Creek area, home to these long and toothy critters. The answer was, what are alligators? And fans were incredibly critical of the show's decision to mention Brian Laundrie in the clue. Now, Laundrie confessed to killing his 22-year-old girlfriend, Gabby Petito, in in a notebook. Before taking his own life. And I kind of get, what, unlike most controversies where I can't see how anybody's upset when Terry Bradshaw makes a, you know, a, a, a metaphor using suicide or something like that. This, I can understand why people are upset because you have one woman who was murdered. You have another guy that committed suicide. All of their family members are still alive. All their immediate family members. A tragic story all around. And... It's now a clue on a game show. I, I get why people are upset. That being said, I maybe I'm willing to cut them a little bit more slack. I'm one of the few, though, because the response on social media has been swift and unrelenting. One uh, Twitter user wrote, this is the most tasteless and insensitive answer I've ever seen on any Jeopardy. What the hell were they thinking? Making light of that tragic situation is repugnant. Damn. Hashtag Celebrity Jeopardy. So my question for you is, 
Do you think it was inappropriate for them to use Brian Laundry in a clue? I understand why people are upset, and maybe you can convince me that they shouldn't have. However, I have to tell you, in defense of whoever makes the clues on Jeopardy, I had never heard of Mayakachi Creek until the Brian Laundrie situation. Okay, never heard of it. And um, not that I spent a lot of time in Florida, but I'd never heard of it. And I did hear of it with the Brian Laundrie situation. So I think to people like me that like to play at home and the contestants, I think the thought process behind the clue was that this was the first time a lot of people heard of this community. And in the news, it was well covered that this park was teeming with alligators. So I understand it. I understand why people are upset, but I don't think it was... Look, it's easy for me to say this was not my loved one that was murdered, not my loved one that killed himself, but I don't think it was inappropriate to do this. Jeopardy includes clues about dead people all the time. Now, usually they're dead people like uh, Julius Caesar or Abraham Lincoln or John F. Kennedy. It's not people that were killed last year in their 20s. I get why people are upset, but uh, I don't think it was that bad. For the people calling this distasteful and wrong, I understand it, but I'm not with you. But maybe that's because I'm offended by so little. What do you think? 800-848-9222. I'll tell you what is offending me. This Facebook impersonator that's out there telling people that they're Frank Morano and sending Facebook friend requests. Why anybody would want to impersonate me, I don't I can't understand. I can't do impersonations of anybody, as many of you were quick to comment when we tried this the other day. And um, why you would ever send money to an imposter Frank Morano if that's what this guy is after. He's probably not after money. He's probably looking to mine your data or hack your Facebook approach or whatever the case may be. But if you get a friend request from a Facebook user that says they're Frank Morano, block them, block them, and report them. If there's a way to report them, do it. I didn't see it. They sent me a friend request also. And it was very, very peculiar. It was much like when Captain Kirk met himself and was warning people about the imposter Captain Kirk in The Enemy Within. The imposter is not to be injured. Use minimum force. Repeat. The imposter is not to be injured. Now, the premise of that situation is a little bit different than what we're dealing with now with this Facebook imposter. Because if you remember the episode, The Enemy Within, what happened was there was a transporter accident. And there were – Captain Kirk was split from his cell, himself. And um, you had a situation where um, Kirk, the more aggressive, violent, uh, adrenaline-prone – um, lusty aspect of his personality that became one person, and then um, the other person was the more gentle, cerebral, uh, weak in some respects. That was the other person, and you really need both. But they were both Captain Kirk, and they both had a legitimate claim to being Captain Kirk, which led to 
quite an interesting um, confrontation when the two of them finally met one another and tried to resolve things. And uh, it was some great acting on the part of William Shatner, frequent other side of midnight guest William Shatner, by the way. That's what his Chiron says when he gets booked on other shows. Um, William Shatner, best known for his appearances on the other side of midnight, a fine acting job in The Enemy Within. You can't hurt me. You can't kill me. You can't. Don't you understand? I'm part of you. You need me. I need you. I don't need you. Very, very dramatic. Uh, But that is not what happened here. I do not believe that the two aspects of my of Frank Morano were split. And um, then that's what you're seeing in the world of Facebook. I think this is just some grifter who's trying to take advantage of the Moranaholics out there, the many Moranaholics out there. 800-848-9222. Talking about this Jeopardy situation, this uh, clue involving Brian Laundrie. People are really ticked off. People are really upset. People are really offended. My question, very simply, is are you? Or do you find this offensive? Do you find this challenging? I, um, I think about this when I write the questions for the $1,000 Minute. I think, you know, okay, is it really appropriate for me to include a question about a tragedy or something like, what Ukrainian city was bombed and now has no power and people are fleeing for their lot? No, I, I try not to include questions like that. But it's a difficult balance, right? Because you do want to ask questions about what's in the news. And these are items in the news. 800-848-9222. JR is in Brooklyn. Hello, JR. Good morning to you, Frank. Morning. Um, a couple of diff- couple of different points for this question, uh, this clue rather. Number one, it's very lowbrow by Jeopardy. That's an intellectual show, and they can find a number of different ways to get an alligator clue out to a celebrity. I, well, that's true, and that's what a lot of people on social media have been saying as also, well. Also, the Brian Laundry. This isn't a, a historical murder. Say, like, you know, a, uh, I don't want to put it on par with JFK or to take away the value of a life of another person compared to another person. But Brian Laundrie isn't John Wilkes Booth. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, I do. I, I understand. It's We're not talking about um, the stabbing of Julius Caesar. Right? This is somebody that before right. uh, his girlfriend's disappearance, no one had ever heard of. I get that. I, I get that. You make, you make a fine point. And also that confession, that's, that's, uh, that's a little tough to put out there as well, this criminal aspect. That was written in his diary, yes, okay. But you don't, you know, nobody had their day in court, unfortunately, for this. There's no need for Jeopardy to do this. They're, this is low-hanging fruit, and they're better than that. Uh, thank you, JR. 800-848-9222. Robert is in Pearl River, or as my monitor says, Pear River. Hello, Robert. Yeah, how are you? Right. Um, he wasn't tried and convicted, this guy, uh, and he's not really a public figure. Uh, this is, hmm. def- you know, it's a defamation if they continue to go that route of the family. The family's still alive. They're, they're not criminals. They want, didn't write in a book that they 
uh, committed suicide or they're, you know, they kill anybody. Uh, if they keep on throwing that name around, you know, they had this guy, the bounty hunter, the dog, after them, it hurts the family. So it's wrong. Legally, it's not right either. Uh, I can understand, like, the, the other guy made a, a statement of woke. That's a totally different scenario legally with this uh, situation. So it's wrong. If, if they continue down this path, they'll get, I'm sure the parents are very unhappy what happened. They're still grieving. They know it was wrong, whatever happened. Um, but uh, if it continues, um, they'll be they'll be warned legally, and then uh, they could have a case against them. Who's ever doing this? Yeah, Robert. Thank you. I am sure they did cross their T's and dot their I's or their lowercase J's prior with with their lawyers prior to any clue going up there. But um, I, I I don't think it's a legal question. I think it's a moral one. A moral and an ethical one. By the way, um, a couple of people did send me some articles to back up what that caller, I believe it was Maria, had said about George Washington dying a Catholic. So, yeah, apparently um, there is some evidence to suggest that while Washington was lying on his deathbed, he sent his slaves across the Potomac to bring back his friend, Father Leonard Neal, and or Neal, and uh, Neal spent some time alone in the president's sick room. And when he returned to the Jesuit house, his fellow, you know, religious folks asked him the outcome of his visit, and he simply answered, "Everything has been taken care of." So um, there is some belief that um, Washington was baptized a Catholic before he died. I can't believe that I didn't know that. That is wild. So, it, but uh, the, sure enough, there is an article on Catholicism.org that says that. So, whatever. I'm sure historians can can look at this, and you can look at this for yourself. 800-848-9222. Charlie is in Chester, New Jersey. Hello, Charlie. Thank you, Frank, for taking my call. Thank you very much. I want to tell you uh, just one thing about uh, the father of our country, uh, George Washington. I mean, because uh, I, I do uh, some medium work, and I heard something about George Washington, and uh, it was said that he might still be, like, you know, existing in the spirit world and still one of our uh, greatest presidents. Uh, of course, uh, uh, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, and uh, uh, the third one would be... Uh, Oh, Jesus, I forget. But anyway, Mr. George Washington, I think I actually spoke to him. Well, what did he say? Well, one thing he said is that uh, the fighting uh, of things in life is still uh, going on in the spirit world. Believe it or not, there's fighting there, too. And uh, uh, the fighting and uh, uh, there's a factor uh, that uh, people didn't suspect in the fighting. there's other religions that are a factor besides uh, Christianity. Did he indicate, uh, if you did, if that was George Washington's spirit that you spoke to, did he indicate any views in terms of 21st century politics, who he liked, what politicians or political parties he felt uh, were, you know, that he would be comfortable voting for, or which might lead the country down a more Washingtonian path? Uh, yes, but but uh, uh, however, uh, 
well, he tried to uh, recently, but somebody from uh, uh, and this is going to sound funny, but but this is a uh, it's an interesting factor in the spirit world. Is the uh, the ancient uh, well, not ancient, but two thousand year Italian uh, people uh, like Julius Caesar and them. Uh, they they communicate some also in the spirit world, and they kind of a factor more than you suspect. I mean, two thousand years later. So they said instead, and they said uh, they said they want Donald Trump. Well, so even I understand Julius Caesar might have been a Trump fan, but was Washington yes. a Trump fan also? Oh, geez, I said uh... Charlie. No, no, he said no. Oh, you're talking to him right now? I was just trying to yes. Oh, who does he like for 2024? I'm trying to get a Frank, but no, no. Come on, George. Uh, no, no, uh, Jesus. Uh, I don't know. One, one thing that was said was, uh, uh, believe it or not, uh, Kamala Harris. <laughs> he likes Kamala Harris for 2024? I think there's a slight chance of that, uh. Wow, you blew my mind, Charlie. Yes, I, yes, I wasn't yes. even sure how Washington would feel about women, women, and and black folks voting these days. But he's well, open. You got to remember, uh, he did have some uh, relations with some some black ladies. <laughs> Is that true? I I know Jefferson did. Yes. I didn't know that. Uh, that was Washington's thing as well. That is, yes, yes, that's wild. Hey, um, well, I appreciate that, Troy. Maybe you, we could check in with you from time to time with an update on sort of what George Washington's view is on the news of the day. You know, it'd be it'd be interesting. Congress is doing this. You know, uh, the president's doing that. It'd be interesting to hear George Washington, or, or at least the spirit of George Washington, if that's him, offering some real world commentary. Okay, Frank, I'd be very glad to, uh, if being, you know, if I'm still able to and stuff, sure, I could try again. That would be great. Hey, Charlie, thank you. If he says anything else, uh, please you know, take note and, you know, give us a call tomorrow with an update if you can. Okay, Frank. Thank you, Charlie. That is fascinating. Kamala Harris. Never would have guessed that. Never would have guessed that. But it goes to show, you You know, that's why I've always said when I'm dead, I don't care if it's my best friend or my worst enemy, my wife, my son, the, the guy I worked with on the radio for years. The thing that I hate when people do is say, well, I'll tell you, if so-and-so were here today, he would say X or he would enjoy Y. I, it drives me crazy because the fact of the matter is you have no idea what anybody would say if they were not around, right? So I always hate whenever I hear historical figures being um, used to project people's current opinions. Well, if Martin Luther King were around today, he'd be saying this. If John F. Kennedy were around today, he'd be voting this way. You have no idea what would be going on. And that goes to show you that's why I don't do that. I've always said when I die, I don't want anybody saying, you know, if Frank were here, he would be saying X. No, don't assume that. Just go back and listen. If you're very eager on what I'd say in a certain situation, chances are I have created enough of a record in the world of radio. Please go back and search my radio comments and my social media commentary. And there's probably a tweet 
or a podcast that fits that description. Don't assume that if Matt Blaze is giving the eulogy, which I hope that's not the case, obviously, but if Matt Blaze is giving the eulogy, it says, you know, if Frank were here, he'd really want someone to buy me a Frankfurter. No, don't assume that that's accurate. Unless I've made specific provisions for posthumous Frankfurters, don't assume that. Um, And it goes to show you, you know, I would never have known Washington was a Kamala Harris fan. Blew my mind with that. Blew my mind. It blew my mind the way that uh, indoor plumbing probably would blow George Washington's mind. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. side of midnight i'm frank moreno it was 1851 two days ago where moby dick was published and when moby dick was published and uh this is a song called moby dick by i think it's led zeppelin either led zeppelin or lee zeldin one of the two 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on uh, anything we're talking about um I want to give. I want to encourage you. If you're interested in true crime, you need to listen to the most recent edition of the Racket Report podcast. My guest on the Racket Report was Michael Vecchione. Michael Vecchione is a fascinating guy. I have interviewed all sorts of people on the Racket Report. I've interviewed people that knew mobsters closely. I've interviewed prosecutors. I've interviewed defense attorneys. I've interviewed authors who've written great books about organized crime. Michael Vecchione is the first guest that I've ever interviewed who's done all four of those things. He has been the chief assistant district attorney in Brooklyn. He's been a defense attorney. He knew this mobster, Luigi the Zip, very well. And he's written now a whole bunch of great books on true crime. The um, person, the book is called Homicide is My Business, A Hitman's Quest for Honor. And it's all about a guy that I'd never heard of called Luigi the Zip. Luigi the Zip is a nickname. His real name is Luigi Roncesvalli. If you're like me and you didn't know much about Luigi the Zip, you're going to be very interested in what Michael Vecchione had to say. You just describe Luigi Roncesvalli as sort of a mafia zealot who's yeah. everywhere involved in all these major mafia events in the latter part of the 20th century on two different continents. But his name never ends up in the news. Um, tell me a little bit about his upbringing. You talk about how he described always aspiring to be a made member of La Cosa Nostra. What, uh, what do we know about his family life and his youth and when he first got involved in the well, mafia 
Okay. Well, we don't we don't really know a lot about the early days, the days that he you know when he grew up, other than um, him telling me that he that this was what he aspired to be, someone that he um, uh, someone who uh, others like him would look up to because he looked up to the uh, the made men or the the men of honor as he called them, uh, both in Catania and and elsewhere in Sicily, but mostly in Catania. Um, he, he did not talk a great deal. So I, I would say that when he spoke to me, it, it, he led me to believe, and, and I kind of agreed with it after I thought about this a great deal, that, that his, his life, his, the, his living, the way he wanted to live, began when he had the guts to confront and to approach the main man in Catania, who was someone he called Signore Rapisardi. He never gave me his first name. Um, he didn't call him Don Rapisardi. He called him Signore Rapisardi, which kind of struck me as strange because I know these guys like to talk in, the, in terms of Don this and Don that, but he, he didn't say that. But his point to, to me was that he could not be what he wanted to be unless he took the steps to ultimately go to Rapisardi and say to him, I want to be what you are. So it's a fascinating life story about a fascinating criminal who turned on his mafia brethren. And it's uh, it's somebody that I never heard of, and it was really interesting. If you're interested in the story, uh, just search The Racket Report with Frank Morano, or just The Racket Report on any podcast app. It's on Spotify, much like Andrew Cuomo. It's on Apple. It's anywhere that you can get your podcast. Just search The Racket Report and subscribe. Uh, If you think it's interesting, send it to someone else. Leave a nice five-star review. Leave a positive comment. That all helps us get more subscribers and more people downloading the podcast. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Tom in the Bronx. Hello, Tom. Yes, Yes, Frank. I'd like to say that George Washington as a child, you know, never wanted to lie to his father. But when his father asked him, he said, George, who who, who uh, chopped down the cherry tree? George had very cunning eyes, and he looked at his father and said, he said, uh, it was Popeye did it, that sailor man. Oh, very funny, very funny, Tom. I used that joke um, maybe in the fourth grade. Fourth grade. It's good. It's good. It's an oldie but a goodie. But uh, you get it. You get it. I mean, Tom's delivery was not the best, but it's uh, you know it's, it's you get it. Popeye did it. You know, he's saying Popeye did it. It's kind of a more of a play on You're language. You're funny, aren't you? Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. We'll continue with your calls in a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Yeah, flip, flop, and fly. Don't care if I die. 
sweet child I know. You know how hard I work, where's my morning go? Flip, flop, and fly. Um, I love this song in its many different incarnations. A great little blues song. 800-848-9222. Hey, here's something that I, I don't mean to sound flippant when I say this, but that it's important to keep in mind. There is still a war going on in with Russia and Ukraine. And I honestly think that for all the people that love to comment on world affairs, whether we're talking about the Grammy nominations or who Elon Musk is firing via Twitter or Donald Trump running for president or the polling between DeSantis versus Trump, whatever we're talking about, there is a very real possibility uh, that this war in Poland, excuse me, in Ukraine, could escalate and escalate quickly. And we got a look at that yesterday. I'm sure many of you heard about what what occurred here. And uh, I'm not excusing Russian aggression at all. But there was, it was reported, I'll say this, it was reported that Poland alleged a Russian-made missile killed two people near Poland's border with Ukraine. Now think about that. Poland. People killed with a Russian missile. Now the reason that is next level, the reason, as uh, Jim Ross would say, business is about to pick up, is because um, Poland is a NATO country. And they have requested a consultation under Article 4 which allows any member to raise security concerns with the alliance. What happens if they were to invoke Article 5? And this is why NATO expansion is such a bad idea. Forget about it being a bad idea for Russia. It's a bad idea for the United States. Do you know what Article 5 is? Many of you probably do. I know um, as many of you are fond of pointing out, you're much smarter than me. Article 5, if a country invokes Article 5 when they're attacked, a NATO ally, That requires all of the NATO countries to come to their defense as if they were attacked. Meaning, if they were to invoke Article 5, which, again, they're not talking about doing, but yesterday nobody was talking about Article 4 either. If Poland were to invoke Article 5, that would cause the United States, Great Britain, all of the NATO countries, Montenegro, to go to war with Russia, a a real conflict, not funding, not advisors, and that's a scary situation. Uh, They covered this on the Cats at Night show yesterday. Uh, Cats at Night show was heard on a a lot of great radio stations, including WABC in New York, hosted by our boss, John Katsimatidis, and they were talking with General Jack Keane. And I want you to keep a couple things in mind as you listen to this clip. One, we didn't know much about what occurred at the time that General Keene is making uh, these comments. Two, I want you to listen to what General Keene says about the Russians. And 
in your brain, substitute the word Russian, take that away and replace it with any other ethnic group. And tell me if this wouldn't be the most racist thing you've ever heard. This is General Keene on the uh, Cats at Night show yesterday. I think one of three things happened. Uh, first, you know, the Russians have been firing a fuselage of missiles today uh, at Ukraine, at energy targets, at the Ukrainian people in response to Ukraine's victory in retaking uh, Kherson City and President Zelensky's uh, celebratory visit there uh, and uh, and the emotional greeting he had with the people he liberated. So one of those certainly could have been an errant missile. Uh, Our audience may not know, but would not be surprised that the Russians have difficulty uh, being accurate with all their missiles. A fair percentage of them are go astray or errant. Another thing is uh, an air defense missile from Ukraine could have hit a Russian missile partially and took it off target. Or number three, while it doesn't appear to be a military target there, or uh, it's close to, a, I think, a major intersection, uh, it could have been an intentional uh, missile firing, maybe to inter- interfere somewhat with the supply lines uh, between Ukraine and, and Poland. And I think it'll take uh, a little bit of time for Poland to assess the situation and also use the technology that's available to the United States and Ukrainians, maybe, uh, to come come to a final conclusion. Uh, but we got to give it a little bit of time before we speculate too much about what took place. Now, I'm sorry we don't have what the audio um, – this is why I have to listen to these audio cuts before the show going forward because – the portion of General Keene's comments that I wanted is what comes right after that, where he furthers his discussion of um, that third option, which is an intentional missile firing from Russia into Poland. Now, think about that, by the way. And again, I'm not taking anything away from General Keene. He's a very smart guy militarily. And in terms of toughness, there's nobody tougher. He saved a lot of lives. He's been in combat. I have not done anything uh, that remotely compares to that. He's got more toughness in his pinky than I do in my entire body. But what he is saying, that the Russians would have intentionally fired a missile into Poland, is just insane. When you think about what that would mean, do you think Russia wants to go to war with all of NATO? The whole reason they embarked on this invasion in the first place, at least in large part, was because of the fear of NATO expansion into Ukraine. And then this is what General Kane went on to say. Quote, we are talking about the Russians here. Close quote. We are talking about the Russians here. Well, let's put our bigotry right on the table. He didn't say we're talking about Vladimir Putin here, which you can understand. That feeds into the narrative that Putin is a madman, maniacal, going crazy. We're talking about the Russians here. Excuse me, General Kane. How many Russians died defending um, – how many Russians died fighting against the Nazis in World War II? Oh, that's right. More than any other country on the face of the earth. Do you chalk that up to we're talking about the Russians here? 
And now look where we are. Poland said early Wednesday that a Russian-made missile fell in the country's east, killing two people. President Biden said it was unlikely that it was fired from Russia. President Biden, nobody more of an ally of Zelensky than Biden. The blast, which Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky decried as, quote, a very significant escalation, prompted Biden to call an emergency meeting of G7 and NATO leaders. A deliberate hostile attack on NATO member Poland could trigger a collective military response. But here's the question, and this is from Associated Press, not exactly considered a pro-Russian media outlet. The key question around the circumstances of this missile launch remains, which is where did this missile come from? Russia has denied any involvement in the Poland blast. This is what AP says. Listen to this. Three, count them, three U.S. officials said preliminary assessments suggested the missile was fired by Ukrainian forces at an incoming Russian one amidst the crushing salvo against Ukraine's electrical infrastructure on Tuesday. The officials spoke on condition, on condition of anonymity because they were not authorized to discuss this matter publicly. So if it's true, that's a Ukrainian missile that fell in Poland. Now, again, this is why war is so horrible, because if you're one of the two people that's killed, you don't care whether the missile that killed you was launched from Ukraine or Russian. But if General Keene is going to go on the radio saying we're talking about the Russians here, they may have done it intentionally. And Poland's talking about invoking Article 4. President Biden's holding emergency summit meetings. I am glad Biden has at least set the record straight and saying it's unlikely that it came from Russia. Now, it doesn't mean indirectly the Russians aren't at fault if this was a defensive Ukrainian missile. But there's a big difference between what General Kane was suggesting at, and that Russia may have fired at Poland and a Ukrainian missile accidentally ending up in Poland. A huge difference. Huge difference. 800-848-9222. I, I really thought that um, Tulsi Gabbard did a great job uh, sitting in for uh, Tucker Carlson on, what day is today? Today's Wednesday? On Monday night. I thought she did really well. And lo and behold, who did she have on? She had on one of our favorite guests, Colonel Douglas McGregor. So she was talking to Colonel McGregor about Zelensky asking for more funding from the United States to continue to fight the Russians. Listen to what Colonel McGregor said. I think Secretary Austin is making a last-ditch effort to fight back against Ukraine fatigue. The truth is the Europeans are tired of pouring money into this. They're tired of sending equipment into a black hole. He's going to have a tough time uh, making any inroads. And, And one of the big reasons is that General Milley, our chairman of the Joint Chiefs, decided to leak his personal advice to the president uh, in the New York Times. And he said, uh, the Ukrainians have probably accomplished all that they reasonably can, and now is the time that uh, they really need to start negotiating. Well, what Milley was really saying in so many words is Ukraine is in a lot of trouble. They have no power, no electricity, no energy of any kind, uh, no fuel, increasingly not enough food and not enough water. And they've taken horrendous casualties, over 100,000 dead and hundreds of thousands of wounded. 
they're in very bad shape. And the second part of the message is you better start negotiating because the Russians are preparing for a winter offensive, which is going to be devastating and will be designed to finish off the Ukrainian armed forces and the regime. So on the one hand, you've got the administration says, let's send more money to this losing proposition and people are tired of it. And right. Then on the other hand, you have the chairman of the Joint Chiefs who says, well, it's the game's almost up. So let's negotiate. I thought uh, Colonel McGregor was very insightful in those comments. I still can't understand why we can't get Tulsi Gabbard on the show. I reached out to a friend of mine that's a producer on another uh, radio show, nationally syndicated radio show. And I asked this person, hey, you know, I saw that you just had Tulsi on. Can you connect her with me or just give her my email and my phone number if she wants to come on? We'll tape whenever she wants or whatever the case may be. I'm a big supporter. And uh, she said, for some reason, Tulsi is just such a difficult person to book. They make everybody go through her website and then they'll get back to you if they feel like doing the appearance. So I don't understand why um, why she's so guarded and with certain media outlets, but we'll, whatever, we'll keep trying. 800-848-9222. Uh, we'll take a quick break and continue with you. Oh, no, good. Uh, Eric is in Manhattan. Hello there, Eric. Hey, Frank. Um, is anybody else covering this responsibly? Like, this is like the Syria thing with the nerve gas, remember? Yes, I remember it well. I, I, I spoke with the former British ambassador to Syria, Peter Ford, who made a lot of comparisons between the Syria misinformation that was coming out and the Russian situation. And the, it was the Russians in Syria, too. They kind of tried to hook to the uh, nerve gas. Remember the CNN reporter? He, she sniffed with the backpack, the backpack that supposedly had nerve gas on it. I mean, can you imagine? Uh, all right. All right. Hey, hey, I have a cross on Tulsi, too. Don't worry. <laughs> well, no, thank, thank you. Um, yeah, that'd be great. That'd be a great interview. That'd be great. Thanks a lot, Frank. Yeah, I'd love to have her on. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Uh, Joel is in Manhattan. He's been holding a while. Hello, Joel. <laughs> I think it's time to ask Frank any, anything at this point. <laughs> uh, it's your dime, Joel. Say whatever you like. Okay, no, no, no. I, I actually wanted to comment on a batch of things since we'll just we'll go back in time since I've been waiting. Um, first off, uh, the uh, fog of war thing. You never know what's going to happen there. Secondly, uh, decisions about how to solve um, uh, election dis- uh, ties. I I think that actually poker is a very good game because it can be a it can be a game not only of chance but of also skill. And consider this. If you were to give them, say – actually, you don't give them any money. You have them take their own funds, take, say, like $10,000 of their own funds, and, it's, and it, it goes down to the entire game, right? Now, the person who takes it all gets to be the winner, but the money actually goes to the loser because then they don't go home with nothing at all. And uh, so I think that's, you know, well, that's interesting. But what if, though, I mean, so the the way that poker is used to decide some of these ties now is it's kind of one hand, which is sort of at random. But but the way you describe it, you you actually have to know how to play poker a little bit. What if a candidate doesn't know how to play poker? 
Well, then you choose the game. You find a game that they, they are both skillful in. And it's just not a one-hand thing. It's a several-hand thing. It would be great if there was some bluffing going on because, you know, that's part of politics, too. you got to play the game to be in the game, so to speak. Think about it. Well, and, to, to uh, your point, think, somebody else suggested that to me via email that why don't mm-hmm. they do rock, paper, scissor, which I think is is also interesting, like a rock, paper, scissor tournament, because there is an element of strategy, of game theory, and yes, even bluffing in rock, paper, scissor. Let's say you did a best out of seven rock, paper, scissor tournament, and the first guy says to the other candidate, hey, I'm throwing out rock. Then the other person has to decide, is that person telling the truth or are they trying to psych me out? I think there's all sorts of uh, different games that could be played um, with that in mind. But I think that's an interesting thought, Joel. Yeah, exactly. And and now going back even further into time, uh, Donald Trump announcing, I think that he did it in line with Artemis to, uh, you know, to kind of get the whole moon landing thing going forward, which because I have some history of myself, I, I watched the lunar landing. I have a little bit of age back there. And going back further in time yet, 1964, on September 7th, that is when they released the Daisy ad that basically ended the uh, Barry, uh, the, the uh, Republican Barry uh, Goldwater's candidacy when they, when they had the, the atomic bomb. Uh, you know, ad with Daisy picking the the the, uh, the flowers and the the bomb goes off and everybody was horrified that 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 uh, Goldwater is going to set off the bomb. So I think that perhaps maybe uh, you know uh, Trump should play off that that bit of cards and use that against Biden when it's time to uh, head that direction. Well, that's interesting, uh, Joel. I certainly am familiar with the ad. Thank you. I don't think Goldwater was going to win anyway. Uh, people may remember that election. Uh, Johnson had won that election with, I believe, the, at least in the 20th century, the largest victory in the popular vote of any president in history. So I, I don't think you could attribute that to just one ad. And it, I think it only aired once, but it got so much coverage that it developed this whole second life. Patrick is in Huntington. Hello, Patrick. Good morning, Frank. First morning. and foremost, Early birthday wishes to Carmine. Thank you. Uh, by no means am I trying to be an ombudsman for uh, the other side of midnight, but earlier you stated Chris Christie was overrated. In my opinion. Well, I think that's been reserved for Meryl Streep. Have a good day. <laughs> that's fair, Patrick. Thank you. Uh, Leo is in Westchester. Hello, Leo. Good morning, Frank. Morning. Uh, I have a little comment on the on the energy of uh, the announcement of Trump, but first I would like to tell you how to split two politicians. Mm-hmm. Try to imagine about 500 questions in each of four balls. Each of them pick up from each ball five questions, which is total 40, and all of, both of them answer all 40 questions. The first ball would be a domestic politics, second a tri- trivia kind of. Second would be uh, uh, foreign politics. Third one would be history of the world, and, and fourth one would be local. If it's it, you know, governor of state Arkansas, it would be history of Arkansas. If it would be Ulster County, it would be history of Ulster County. Okay, each well, I, I, I like it, Leo. Each bowl and uh, each answering all forty questions. Leo, thank you. Uh, it's not bad. I guess the fundamental question is. 
Should it be a game of chance or should it be something else? I like the combination, right? Um, so we'll see. Uh, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. We'll talk Pete Rose. Your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Pete Rose is unquestionably one of the greatest baseball players of all time. His statistics are without peer. He is uh, the hit king. I believe he is the only player with over 4,000 hits. He is an incredible... The career that he had as a baseball player... A professional baseball player is extraordinary. With the Expos, the Reds, and especially the Reds, and the Philadelphia Phillies, he had the kind of career that is legendary. Of course, many of you know the story. When he was a manager for the Cincinnati Reds, he bet on baseball, would bet repeatedly on baseball. It was found out about it. It was found out that he was betting on baseball, which was strictly prohibited. And he was banned from baseball for life. That has led to him not being able to work in baseball for decades. Can't coach a team, can't manage a team. Up until, you know, maybe about 20 years ago, he couldn't even set foot on a Major League Baseball diamond. And that meant that he could not be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Pete Rose has now written to the commissioner of Major League Baseball, Rob Manfred. Once again, asking him to, uh, asking to be allowed into the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. Pete Rose is 81 years old. How many years does Pete Rose have left? He wrote to Commissioner Rob Manfred to apologize for the gambling scandal that led to him being banned from baseball. Now, understand, for years... Pete Rose refused to acknowledge that he bet on baseball. Wouldn't even admit it. And then he refused to apologize for years. That's no longer the case. He is admitting his role. He is apologizing for his role. In the letter, Pete Rose writes, quote, Despite my many mistakes, I am so proud of what I accomplished as a baseball player. He writes... I am the hit king, and it is my dream to be considered for the Hall of Fame. Like all of us, I believe in accountability. I'm 81 years old and know that I have been held accountable and that I hold myself accountable. I write now to ask for another chance. There's no indication that uh, Major League Baseball is going to change its position on Rose. 
Do you think they should? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. The rules say you can't bet on a game that you're playing in or that you're uh, certainly a game that you're managing the team. And that's a good rule because think of what that might lead to. All sorts of different things that might injure players, that might have an impact on the game. I agree with Pete Rose. I think, look, no question he did the wrong thing here. He's paid his dues. There have been great jobs in baseball as an announcer, as a manager, and a bunch of other roles, front office roles, that Pete Rose could have been enjoying for the last 35 years. And he hasn't. I think that's enough of a penalty. The guy is 81. I believe he should be reinstated. I believe Rob Manford should take this letter as an act of contrition for what it is and reinstate Pete Rose. The betting, unlike steroids, which we've covered at length with Barry Bonds and Sammy Sosa and Roger Clemens and others, the betting did not affect Pete Rose's playing career. Maybe let's say it affected his managerial career. Didn't affect his playing career. He still has 4,000 hits more than anybody. Didn't affect his performance. Um, I think he's paid the price appropriately. Additionally, Pete Rose um, being banned from the Hall of Fame for gambling, while so much of professional sports, including baseball, is now focused on gambling, is mind-boggling to me. You watch a baseball game now, what do you see? Commercials for FanDuel, DraftKings. Behind home plate, there's a big old ad for FanDuel or DraftKings or other betting apps, Caesars betting apps. So baseball is making all sorts of money by encouraging fans to participate in gambling. And you're going to tell me one of the greatest players of all time should be prohibited from the Baseball Hall of Fame because he gambled? No. Let Make him apologize. I don't care if you make him walk from New York to L.A. apologizing at every baseball stadium as part of his penance. Do whatever you have to do. He should be in the Hall of Fame. This is a, this is a tremendous injustice. It always has been. And to me, it's underscored by the fact that Pete Rose is now begging hat in hand for this. I will say this. By the way, Pete Rose is my kind of ball player. Pete Rose is the kind of ball, softball player that I am, right? Uh, I, Pete Rose was not a home run hitter. He was not the fastest player. He was not the best fielder. He didn't have the best throwing arm. He was a very good player. But what made him a great player, one of the best, and I'm not saying I'm one of the best, but I'm saying this is what I've always sought to emulate with Pete Rose, is he was Charlie Hustle. He played the game with an intensity and a level of drive and ambition that was without peer. And that's what makes him such an incredible person, is that that strength of will, that drive... Because you look at him, he was not a natural athlete. He made himself one of the greats through hard work, through dedication, through energy, through stick to and drive. And I think that's something to be celebrated, even if he's a flawed person. Now, I will say this. Pete Rose has been, his, his entire career, 
but especially since he was banned from baseball. Pete Rose has been his own worst enemy. Uh, His lying about the gambling, that didn't help him. Had he immediately thrown himself on the mercy of Major League Baseball and the fans in the early 90s, I think you would have seen a different situation. You would have seen a different outcome. But instead, he lied for years. Also, from what I understand, uh, I've never met Pete Rose. I've, I've wanted to interview him many times over the years, but I've never gotten the opportunity. What I understand is Pete Rose is kind of a jerk. He's been a jerk to the press. He's been a jerk to other athletes. He's been a jerk to the fans. So I feel like whereas if uh, um, there's always a lot, in some ways, Pete Rose is like Andrew Cuomo or Elliot Spitzer. And here's what I mean by that. When Elliot Spitzer, from what I understand, was a total jerk to everybody that he worked with, his political allies, his political adversaries, the people that worked for him in the attorney general's office, in the governor's office. And so when Elliot Spitzer got jammed up, it was not as if Elliot Spitzer had this reservoir of goodwill to draw upon because everyone thought he was a nice guy. Uh, the same is true of Andrew Cuomo. It, Andrew Cuomo had alienated everybody. He didn't have a friend in the world because he treated people so poorly. I think Pete Rose is in some ways dealing with the same thing. That being said, I still think he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, You know, uh, the perfect example is Reagan. And I don't want to get into whether or not Reagan was a great president or a terrible president. It's a subject for a broader discussion. But if you look at Reagan's second term, he, Iran-Contra, probably had the opportunity to be just as big of a scandal, maybe more so, than Watergate. I mean, if you think about the magnitude of... What happened with Iran-Contra versus what happened in Watergate? There's a strong case to be made that Iran-Contra might have been worse than Watergate. But everybody liked Reagan. (laughs) You know, his own staff liked him. The legislators liked him. His own party liked him. The other party liked him. So there wasn't this rush to, um, to throw him out of office, right? Because he had sort of an attitude and a genial manner that people got along with. You know, I, I am a student of history, sports history, baseball history, radio history especially. And so whenever I get together with Roger Stone, one of the things that I really like to do is ask him about a lot of the people that he's dealt with over the years, especially presidents. And he would always say, he was friends with Nixon until Nixon died. And he would always say that um, Nixon had an encyclopedic mind when it came to foreign policy and politics. You could ask Nixon about any Senate race, any gubernatorial race, any congressional race in, that was hotly contested anywhere in the country. And Nixon would have a strong opinion about it. He had looked at it. He had analyzed it and would talk with you for hours about that. Stone also knew Reagan and worked with Reagan. And Roger would tell me that Reagan was the exact opposite, that Reagan, if you'd bring up politics with him, was not interested in discussing it at all. Not at all. If you really wanted to have a good conversation with Reagan, according to Roger, the what you would have to do is bring up old Hollywood and ask him about, um, you know, the leading ladies of Hollywood in the 40s and 50s. That's what would get Reagan to open up and be and show another side of his personality and talk with you for a long time, which apparently he was very eager to do. So um, I think Pete Rose was a lot more Nixon, a lot more Spitzer, a lot more Cuomo than he is Reagan. Uh, Pete Rose himself addressed this 
on the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast five years ago in which he talked about Major League Baseball and this betting controversy. You also wrote in your book, quote, I always lived by one hard and fast rule. You don't bet on baseball. But for the first time in my life, I was no longer playing baseball. Even though you were managing, what impact did no longer playing baseball have on how you viewed betting on the game? I I just, uh, I needed something extra. I lost the edge of getting those at-bats and and, uh, being competitive. So, you know. I was wrong, but the best way to be competitive with me was betting my own team to win every night. How often would you bet on the Reds? Every night. Every night I bet on my team to win. Every single game every you played night, Every night that my team played, I bet on my team to win. But why would you do it two, three, two times a week? Then you're trying to set a pattern in. Did you ever bet on baseball while you were still playing? No. No. And that's never been documented. I didn't need anything then. I didn't need. I didn't. I didn't need anything extra then. I mean, I think everybody in the world understands that. I know I screwed up and I made mistakes. And you may disagree with that, but uh, it, it's it's not important for this interview. And maybe you could explain to me where it is, and I'll listen to you. But uh, I, I just uh, I don't. I, I don't think it's worth. Well, I mean, I think the part of it that's relevant isn't so much. It's in the rehashing. book. So it's, anybody wants to know, it's in the book. And. Uh, you're not going to have any reaction from anybody different today than because, to be honest with you, most people are, are like me. Get over it. It happened. There's nothing you can do to change it. I didn't break up the Beatles. Okay. I didn't shoot JFK. Okay. You know, that's an interesting thing. I have not heard uh, Pete Rose tied to the JFK assassination. I've heard so many different theories of people tied to the JFK assassination from uh, Woody Harrelson's father to Ted Cruz's father. I have never heard an allegation of Pete Rose being tied to the JFK assassination. One, I think he's right there. Two, you could see what I'm talking about, right? He's kind of a jerk. But I think he should still be in the Hall of Fame. He's written this letter. What do you think? 800-848-9222. You know, I'll be honest with you. If Donald Trump wants to win Ohio, he should make this an issue. He should go to Ohio and campaign on a platform of letting Pete Rose be in the Hall of Fame. By the way, uh, he is scheduled because he's, he lives in Las Vegas. He is scheduled to place the first bet because he's been so associated with betting these days, as you might imagine, uh, for the Hard Rock Casino's sports book once sports betting is legalized in Ohio on January first. So that is interesting. It's going to be a whole bunch of other Reds players and Bengals players that are going to be out there for that as well. 800-848-9222. Joe is in Ron Konkama. Hello, Joe. Hey, Frank. Um, two things. Um, one, let Pete Rose in. I mean, I've seen a lot of players and what happened in that basketball player that made the anti-Semitic. They, they find him, what, five games? Let Pete Rose in. He's a great player, great person. Um, and also, I watched that um, Tucker Carlson on Monday with Tulsi Gabber. Oh, my God. She's so intelligent. I see why you uh, like her so much. A beautiful, beautiful woman. And if she was ever to run or run under Trump, I think that would be a, the perfect ticket, her and Trump. And um, I just she's very brilliant. And 
I, I just got lost uh, when she was talking. Oh, I agree with you, Joe. Thank you. Now, she's my first choice for president in 2024. But uh, with, with whatever party, independent, Republican, Democrat, doesn't matter to me. But um, my wife was asking because I had the announcement on and uh, she, you know, she was in the room, my wife. And she said, who do you think Trump's going to pick as a running mate? And I'll tell you who my hope is. If Tulsi doesn't run herself, I, assuming he is the nominee, and I think that's more likely than not, I'd love to see him pick Tulsi Gabbard. That would make my day. That would, that would, you know, that lack of enthusiasm that I was talking about, about voting for Trump again, that is erased if Tulsi is the uh, vice presidential candidate. 800 By the way, and we'll get back to your Pete Rose calls in just a second. So somebody reached out to me on Twitter, a Twitter user by the name of Will the Thrill, uh, after one of the subjects that I covered last hour, and said the following. Zero respect for you, Frank. Lowercase Frank. I was worried about Will the Thrill and his level of respect for me. Uh, You constantly defend Putin and Russia. You are totally ignorant on this issue. You know nothing about the world. Stick to fake wrestling and drinking at the casinos. Now, what's interesting is apparently Will the Thrill knows nothing about capitalization. Uh, The other thing is Will the Thrill in his profile photo. What is the profile photo? It's a a giant Ukrainian flag. Now, again, he's got every right to have whatever country's flag he wants in his profile photo. But um, these insults are going to start getting to me when it's people who have American flags in their profile photo that start criticizing the things that I'm saying. And they say they have zero respect for me. And so I tried to retweet this because I do like to retweet a lot of the tweets that are critical of me but have such basic errors like grammar or capitalization to show the kind of people that have zero respect for me, meaning people that can't capitalize. But um, I can't do it. I tried to like it and I tried to retweet it, but uh, for some reason it's not there anymore. I guess this Will the Thrill might have had other thoughts. So perhaps he's grown more respect for me or me. I don't know the case. I tried to retweet it, made an effort. Uh, So if you want to um, tweet at me, with some something insulting and informing me that you have zero respect for me and make a grammatical mistake in your commentary, please do so. I will be happy to retweet. Find me on Twitter at Frank Morano. That's Frank M-O-R-A-N-O. Let me say hello to Vito on Staten Island. Hello, Vito. How are you, Frank? How's everything? First time caller. Um, I believe that um, heroes should be in the Hall of Fame. He never... Um, while his gambling, all right, it was, you know, proven, but he never gambled. He never threw a game. He never gambled as he, against uh, uh, his team that he was uh, managing or playing for. Um, and if he did, that would have come out already. And we know that I, I pretty much can say that he never uh, threw a baseball game. So he should be allowed, in my opinion, into, into the uh, Hall of Fame. I agree with you uh, completely, Vito. Thank you. And if, by the way, if people have another view, I will happily make that uh, allow that voice to be heard. By the way, I said earlier um, that I th- I think Pete Rose might have been the only player with four thousand hits that was not accurate. Pete uh, Ty Cop also had over four thousand hits. So I said I think I didn't say definitively. Otherwise, I would have looked it up. But uh, it was Ty Cobb. I did look this up. He has over four thousand hits as well. 
Anthony in Brooklyn, a first timer. Hello, Anthony. Good morning, Frank. How are you? Doing great, Anthony. What's on your mind? All right. Let, let's let's. Pete Rose wrong for what he did. He's admitting he's wrong for what he did. But now let's let's forget about the gambling part. Let's look at all the players that have committed domestic violence mm. that that were allowed back to play. Let's look at all the players that have taken steroids that were caught. Did they get a slap in the wrist at first? Yes, 80 games or whatnot. Look at Robinson Cano, got caught twice, but still was allowed to come back and play the game. Now, Pete, what I think with Pete Rose, it's his arrogance, the way he conducted himself, the way he spoke to people. I think that hurt him more than anything else. What do you feel? I agree with you, and I tried to make that point, Anthony, maybe not as articulately as you did, uh, but I think the fact that he's been a jerk to everybody, he doesn't have a lot of people rooting for him. But I think you put your finger on another problem here, which is that there's people that break rules, and you get punished. Doc Gooden, who I think it's his birthday today, Doc Gooden got caught using drugs. It wasn't performance-enhancing drugs. I think it was cocaine. And he was suspended, suspended for a long time. They pay the price for their crimes. And so is Pete Rose. The problem with a lifetime ban, which is what Pete Rose has, is it's not a punishment that fits the crime. It's, uh, it's all about proportionality. And I think there should, there's nothing wrong with a punishment, but it's got to fit the crime. And a lifetime ban doesn't fit the crime for betting on the team that you're managing, in my view. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Chris is in Orange County. Hello, Chris. Frank, love your show. You get me to work in the morning. Thank you. Um, when it comes to Pete Rose, you just nailed it. And he, what does it take to hit a baseball? If you if you hit a baseball three times out of ten at bats, you're batting three hundred. Right. It is unbelievable. And here he is with four thousand for years. He's, he's owned the record for years. What did he do? Never bet against his team. He bet for his team. If we and your other caller just nailed it. Did he beat his wife? Did he? What what did he do for all these years? And if we took a vote, if all of the Major League Baseball fans in the world took a vote. It would be unanimous. Pete Rose belongs in the Hall of Fame. So what do you think the reason that Major League Baseball is keeping him out? I think back then, it, it was they were making an example. Right, but now it's 30 years it, later. It's 30 years later. Why is. now? Exactly. Well, I think because here he is. Now, he's, he, he writes a letter to the commissioner. It's almost like he's begging. And I, I believe it's time... Time to get him in. There's no question about it. Yeah, yep. Uh, I agree. Uh, thank you, Chris. 800-848-9222. Mike is from Parts Unknown. Hello, Mike. I think it's me, Parts Unknown. Uh, tomorrow, Frank. Uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Yeah. Uh, I was talking to Kenny. I just tuned in a little while ago. Um, uh, and, and Bernie, real quick, conversations we had. He couldn't believe the uh, Met fan games I went to, but I did. Uh, uh, you probably passed Peter's clan bar when you paid respects to uh, to Bernard. Uh, about eight summers ago, I get a call from a friend of mine. 
He goes, Mike, the kid that works for me, big baseball fan. I said, that's nice. You know, great game. Pete Rose is going to be at Peter's Clam Bar. So I go down there. Hmm. There's, three new, there's three news crews out there, maybe 25 people. Okay, he gets out of a limo with his, with his cowboy boots. It's quiet. I cut my hands, cup, and I go, this man belongs in the Hall of Fame. Don't get me started on Aroid and the others. I shut up. Okay, he goes inside. He comes up to me. He goes, hey, thanks for saying what you said. What's your name? Mike. Uh, and I told him I was at that dust up at second base. He said, you were at that game? You're damn right it was, Pete. I took a page from your book. I took a page from your book. I break my nose three times. I dislocate my elbow. I was a diamond rat in the dirt. Here's the deal. Here's the deal with Pete Rose, in my opinion. You know, uh, it goes back to the 1919 Chicago Black Sox mm -hmm. when they threw the World Series. Every locker room that you go into, minor league, major league, there's no gambling, no gambling. But you know what? Uh, enough is enough. Uh, Pete deserves to be in the hall. And like the, a couple of callers back said, it's right. You know, uh, uh, th there were people who were domestic violence and this and that. Uh, and, you know, you know, time has gone by. But when you violate gambling, you know, that, that's, a, that's a cardinal sin. And I think after everything he's done while he's still alive, put him in the damn Hall of Fame. Enough is enough. You know, um, you know I almost said to him that night, uh, Frank, I didn't. I almost said to him, hey, Pete, you know, who do you like in the fifth race at Belmont today? I didn't. <laughs> Rim shot. But, uh, yeah, I went to a lot of, you know, classic games back in the day, the big red machine. And I hope Pete gets in because he's 80 years old now, right? 81. 81. Like, uh, Mike, exactly. Thank you. Well said. Uh, those of you that are holding, please continue to hold uh, because I'd love your opinion on this, especially if you disagree with me or with any of the other people that have said the same thing. We're going to do the $1,000 minute in a moment. It you know, it's been a rough week. Uh, not, well, not a rough week. It's been a great week in that we had a winner two days ago. He won the 1000 and then I was warned by the program director, hey, don't make those questions too easy. I said, Matt, I'm not. Some, nobody's won in 10 months. They're not easy questions. And, um, and then the next day, the guy that was playing yesterday was on pace to win. He got up to question eight. So I was uh, I was sweating that out, that we might have back-to-back -back winners. But you never know. Uh, much like gambling, the $1,000 minute is quite streaky. So we're going to give you an opportunity to play. If you're the seventh caller to 800-848-9222, you can have an opportunity to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. Go ahead and call right now. 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. You know, when the, uh, heart, when the uh, Hard Rock in Atlantic City first opened, 
My wife's a fan of Carrie Underwood, and so she went with my friend Brian Silverstein's wife, and the two of them went to see Carrie Underwood, and Brian and I went to go play blackjack and hang out at the bar, because as uh, Twitter user Will the Thrill will tell you, that's really my specialty is getting drinks at casinos. But um, So I didn't go to the concert, but my wife did. And um, she's a big fan of Carrie Underwood. And you know what, what happened to Carrie Underwood? They lost her luggage as she was traveling to Atlantic City. And so they lose her luggage. And so <laughs> Carrie Underwood and one of her staffers, her assistant or something, they went to a local consignment shop in Atlantic City to buy her clothes um, for the concert that day. Isn't that wild? Um, so that's kind of cool. All right. Without further ado, let us try and give away some money. The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Murano. Let us say hello to Frank in Blue Mountains. Hello, Frank. Well, hi, Frank. Good morning. Uh, Frank, you familiar with the contest? Uh, I am. All right, good. Um, well, so if you're ready, we can just get started, And uh, unless you have any questions. No questions. Ready to go. All right. Sounds good. All right. Um, let me pull up my questions here. Let me make sure I have them. Okay. What color are stop signs? Red. What is the capital of New York State? Albany. Who is the only man in history to be the Republican nominee for president three times? FDR. Republican, remember. Oh, Republican. Who could that be? Three times. Eisenhower? Uh, unfortunately not. Uh, you were close, though. It was Eisenhower's running mate, Richard Nixon. He was the nominee wow. in... 1960, 1968, oh, and 1972. Frank, I'm sorry you did not win, but I'm uh, putting you on hold, and uh, we'll give you a consolation prize, and uh, Kenneth will take your information, and we'll give you something nice. You know what we're going to be doing tomorrow at this time? Now, tomorrow, we spent a lot of time today and this week in general talking about presidential politics and Donald Trump, and I try not to mention Donald Trump on this show because um, it, people are in, incapable of being rational when it comes to Trump. The people that love him are incapable of seeing his faults. The people that hate him are incapable of giving him credit for anything. So it just leads to a lot of very boring, a lot of very predictable discussions. And um, tomorrow we're going to try and do a Trump-free show, including the segment with Brian Kilmeade. Now, it's going to be very challenging because, you know, when Brian comes on, we usually talk about the news of the day. I mean, he's most interested in talking about sports, but we'll, you know, we'll, we do get around to the news of the day. And this is big news. But it occurred to me as I was writing out uh, some, you know, I was writing out a list of the segments that are regularly occurring on our show. And uh, it occurred to me, we don't really have a name for the segment that we do with Brian Kilmeade each week. And I really do feel like we should have a catchy name and maybe get some nice jazzed up music for it, some nice imaging. So I'm guessing if you listen at this time, there's a good chance that you listen to our conversation every Thursday morning at this time. Do you have any suggestions for what 
the weekly segment with Brian Kilmeade should be called. Don't overthink it. Just something short, pithy, clever, funny. What do you think? 800-848-9222. You know, it's funny. It would be funny. I I was thinking of this on the way here today. And no, this was not an idea that occurred to me while I was asleep. I don't think it was anyway. But it would be funny if we had Kilmeade on the show tomorrow and asked him nothing about the news of the day and nothing about sports, which are the two things that he's most interested in. And then I thought, wouldn't it be fun if we did a whole week's worth of shows? Maybe we could start with a day's worth of shows where we ask people questions and interview them about things that they know nothing about. Like Colonel Douglas McGregor, have him on and ask him all sorts of questions about pro hockey, right? Or have a a political analyst, a a, a pollster on and ask them all sorts of questions about uh, Frank Sinatra, right? Or have a a UFO guest on and ask them all sorts of questions about, you know, the the cheating scandal in chess. I thought that would be fun. It might be one of those things that sounds funny in concept, but the implementation would be a little dicey. I still want to try it, at least for a day. We'll see. 800-848-9222 if you want to contribute to your to our hobo stew here. Let me say hello to Jared in our nation's capital of Washington, D.C. Hello, Jared. Hello. How are you? Great. Great. What's I know on nothing your mind? about politics or sports or uh, any of that, so... Well, wonderful. What's on your mind this morning? No, I I, you, I heard you talk about Pete Rose. I just, I don't know. Ever since I thought, um, ever since I was, you know, I was a kid, I just thought from the, um, I just thought once you cheat on sports, you should be banned. For life. Yes. I hear that, right? And I get it. And look, Pete Rose agreed to a lifetime ban. Uh, he says he didn't realize that would include no Hall of Fame el- and eligibility. I get that. However, don't you think with Major League Baseball and the Major League teams making so much money through gambling ads and through getting people to watch these games because they're encouraging these gambling apps, don't you think it's a little hypocritical on the part of Major League Baseball for them to ban Pete Rose for gambling, but at the same time, they're benefiting from gambling. Well, sure, but don't you think that's a problem on its own? Yes. Yes, I do. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yes. It, I, I So I do uh, – I'm a fiduciary, so you, there's an ethical part of what I do. And there's just something that you need to once – you, once you break that line, you're done. Well, I don't know. Hey, I get it, Jared. Look, and um, you have a very clear moral compass. You know, you see things black and white, and I applaud that. That's great. I am a gray area guy, right? I see shades of gray in everything. If you look at the kind of folks that I really enjoy associating with in my personal life on the radio, they're all gray area people, right? I mean, one of my favorite segments to do is when we have four disbarred attorneys in studio. I love that. So you get a sense that I I like that kind of shadiness in different aspects of life. You know, I applaud you, Jared, for being more, I don't know, upright and uh, more more of a black and white guy than I am. 
But I, I just think if baseball is going to benefit from gambling, they ought to forgive Pete Rose after 30 years, in my view. Kirk on Long Island. Kirk, what should we call this segment with Brian Kilmeade? Hey, hey, Frank, good morning. Um, just want to give a big shout-out to your son, Carmine, and coming up, upcoming for his birthday. Thank you. Um, uh, I got a, a name for the Brian Kilmeade section. I'm going to call it the, the Kilmeade Connection with Frank Morano. The Kilmeade Connection. I like it. Yeah. I like that it's alliterative. That's not bad, Kirk. Kirk's Kilmeade Connection with Frank Morano. I like it. <laughs> Have a good day, Frank. Kiss your son, man. Thank you, Kirk. I sure will. Thank you. Can't wait to get home. Stan is in Astoria. Hello, Stan. Ah, Stan is gone. Um, Joe just emailed me, killing it with Kilmeade. Uh, it's not bad. I actually like the Kilmeade connection a little, a little bit, um, a little, a little bit more. You know what? It's interesting. Whenever Brian and I end our conversation, and you'll hear this tomorrow, he always says. And nobody else says this to me, I don't think. He says, and I think he says this to everybody. He says, go get him, Frank, right? Uh, or something along those lines. And I, I was thinking maybe we can incorporate that in the segment title. Go get him with Brian Kilmeade. But I like the Kilmeade connection. It's good. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Joe in Rhode Island. Hello, Joe. Hi, Frank. Uh, I come down against Pete Rose uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, it doesn't matter to me that there is the hypocrisy that you correctly point out about baseball ma- making money from uh, a gambling thing. The, the fundamental issue to me is children and, and, and mm. the future. Morano agreed to a, a Morano, excuse me. Rose agreed to a, a lifetime ban. Now he wants to go back on it. But there's, a, there's an, another history uh, antecedent that in New, from New York City that people forget um, that I that I'd like to point out <clears throat> at the heart of the there was a college basketball scandal about 1950 that blew up and caused and CCNY to disband its its uh, program and and it spread across the country. At the time, Manhattan College was a good team, and at the time, their their leading scorer and starting center was a kid named Junius Kellogg, who was a poor guy from from Virginia who got a college scholarship and played there. He was approached by a Manhattan player from the previous year offer, offering him money to, to shave points. Now, this kid was far more needy than Pete Rose ever was in terms of finance, and he hadn't achieved anything professionally yet. He goes right to his coach, Kenny Norton, who takes him to the Bronx DA, and the kid cooperates against the um, uh, fixers, and it led in part to the unraveling of that scandal. Now, that guy, I think, should should have a statue erected in his name uh, outside the College mm-hmm. Basketball Hall of Fame. Instead, what happened to this kid? He wasn't good enough to play in the NBA, so he goes with the Globetrotters. In April, after he graduated, the bus he's riding on in Arkansas, kids, and he's permanently paralyzed. Oh, no. He came back to New York City and worked in several mayoral administrations until he died in the 80s. I had a chance to meet him once, and I told him. I what was his name? Tell me his name again. 
Junius Kellogg. Mm. Mm. Hey, just look him up from Manhattan. Yeah, no, and I you'll find him. And um, I told him when I met him that uh, I had given a speech to a basketball group on Staten Island that I was the chairman of at the time, and citing him as a major leaguer of life. I think that he and people like, I forget the name, the U.S. senator who was approached in Abscam, who turned down the, the bribe offer and reported it, people like that. Mm are people who our kids should know about as, as as showing there is still there are still moral values in this country yeah, and, I think uh, the person you're talking about is Larry Pressler, who I, yeah. uh, the senator was Larry Pressler, who's actually yeah. one of my heroes that I got to interview not long ago. He actually just ran for U.S. Senate again as an independent about eight years ago. Great guy. I got to interview him. Well said. Uh, well said, Joe. I love that story. And uh, I, I hear what you're saying. Um I I I get the comparison with Pete Rose, and I get the the um, reasons for praising Junius Kellogg. That being said, it's a different world, and thank you for the call. It's a different world in 2022 than it was in the 1950s. It is, um, for better and worse. And one of the things that has now become more readily acceptable is sports gambling. Should athletes do it? No. Um, should athletes be punished if they're caught? Absolutely. Is 30 years banned from baseball a sufficient punishment? In my book, it is. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Peter in the Bronx. Hello, Peter. Hey, Frank. How you doing tonight? I'm well, um, I have an idea for your Brian Kilmeade part, and uh, to name it Kicking It with Brian Kilmeade or Kicking It with Kilmeade. Kicking it with Kilmeade. That's not bad. I like the alliteration there again. That's good. That's yep. good. Thank you very much, Peter. Hey, I got a um I got an Instagram message from Bill Bracken, who writes to me it should be called the Kilmeade Corner. That's not bad. So we got the Kilmeade connection. Kicking it with Kilmeade, killing it with Kilmeade, and the Kilmeade Corner. W- which of those do you like? Write to me or uh you know, let us know in the Facebook group, uh, Morano Radio fans and haters. Let me say, you know, Barry in New Jersey has been holding a while. Let me give him an opportunity to be heard. Hello, Barry. Hey, good evening, Frank. Uh, yes, um, I have a comment about former President Trump uh, announcing that he's running. I was uh, I still am a big Trump supporter of his policies. But once he started attacking DeSantis after DeSantis did so good in Florida. It really turned me off. And for the good of the party, I I think we have to move on. Like I said, he did a great job. But at this point, I wanted to see what you think. I think for the party to move forward, uh, I think we have to go a different direction. There's just so much hatred. And he's, he's even divisive in his own party. Well, yeah, I made a lot of those points both earlier today and earlier in the week. And I think a lot of people feel that way. I am not, you know, and thank you for the call, Barry. I'm not all in on DeSantis yet. I uh, I think he did a great job in Florida during COVID. And I wish we had a governor like him during COVID. But to me, the fundamental issue that any potential president needs to face is avoiding nuclear war. And I have a pretty good idea of how Trump would handle foreign policy. But, you know, kill me the governor. We don't know where he'd be on foreign policy. So I wish he'd make that more clear. And I'm sure if he runs, he will make that more clear. 
But that's one of the reasons I am not yet in the DeSantis chorus. Um, and I have a pretty good idea of where we'd be with Trump on, uh, you know, foreign policy. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Joe in Orange County. Hello, Joe. How you doing, Frank? Um, my thing with Pete Rose is this. I mean, gambling is wrong to you know, gamble on the game, especially as a player or a manager. But you have all these guys that did steroids. I mean, what are you showing kids? That these steroid guys should be on TV like Alex, Alex Rodriguez and David Ortiz? David Ortiz is in the Hall of Fame. He abused drugs. He abused drugs, and he's in the Hall of Fame. But the guy that gambled on baseball 30 years shouldn't, and everything that Pete did was natural. Well, you know exactly, Joe. And, you know, you, it's such a good point that you make because I talked about the steroid athletes that were prohibited from being in the Hall of Fame. But you're right. A-Rod and other athletes that have uh, that w- there's a pretty good indication that use performance enhancing drugs. They're making a ton of money commenting on baseball. So why did Pete Rose get prohibited and is still prohibited from doing that same thing when his rule-breaking and cheating never affected his performance, where in the case of A-Rod, it did. So that's a that's a, a fair point. There's hypocrisy all over this. And I think the best way to handle this is to say, look, we're not saying that the next guy won't be banned for life. We're not saying that we're okay with people cheating or gambling. We're saying this is a sufficient punishment. This man is 81 years old. And he's got more hits than anybody. He should be in the Hall of Fame. We're making an exception. But again, uh, to repeat what I said, Pete Rose has been his own worst enemy on this. He really has. 800-848-9222. Thomas is in New Jersey. Hello, Thomas. Hey, Frank. How are you? Doing okay. Thanks. Hey, I just got um, a little bit on Pete Rose. Uh, I mean, I'm 33, so unfortunately, I didn't really get to see him play or manage. But um, I- I'm just thinking if Pete Rose said that he did bet on every single game that he managed, uh, do we know for sure that he bet for his team to win and that he didn't maybe, you know, bet against his team and maybe fix some games? Is that a possibility why Major League Baseball won't let him in just because of that doubt? Well, um, we have no, there's nobody that has said that Pete Rose bet against the Reds. Nobody has said that, right? And I think this many years later and the money that would be paid to someone if they were to sell their story, I think we would have heard that. But Major League Baseball, their view is, and I think this is actually a sound policy, and, and thank you for the call, Thomas, and I appreciate you listening, Um Their view is they make no distinction which side you're betting on. And I get it, because if you're betting on your team to win, that could affect all sorts of managerial decisions. Maybe you leave a guy in to pitch for eight innings who should have been yanked in six innings after pitching 100 pitches. Maybe you uh, manage to win that day's game without consideration for tomorrow. It could lead to decisions about everything being altered from pinch runners to pinch hitters to all sorts of things. So the rules of Major League Baseball don't make a distinction between betting for your team and against your team. In my view, it doesn't matter. Enough's enough. Let him in the Hall of Fame. 
I think they should take this letter and use it as an opportunity to make Pete Rose pay a fine, make him, as I said, go to every ballpark in America and apologize to the fans. But it's time. It's just, it's time. And the fact that that young man never saw Pete Rose play, I think it's all the more reason he should be in the Hall of Fame now. Because just as much as Pete Rose is a poor example for his conduct, he's that much of a positive example for his conduct on the field. 15 seconds of fame in a moment. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. by Stevie G and the Tagamacha 9, available on iTunes, only 99 cents, best bargain in music as far as I'm concerned. Time now for you to be heard for 15 seconds. It's time for... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Mike in New Jersey. Good morning, Frank. Hey, Elon Musk. Feed your people. At least get them some cans of Chef Boyardee and a microwave. Ron in Michigan. Frank, the uh, missiles that are falling on Poland, General uh, Milley said the Ukrainians, as far as they're going to go, is curse on. This is a provocation by Poland and Ukraine to drag us into this war. And Pete Rose should go into the Hall of Fame, but he has to be an... Neil. Yeah, Frank, the guy was arrested with 2,000 fentanyl pills, and then right outside, he was right out with no bail. If you voted for Governor Hochul, you're an absolute moron. Frankie. Hey, should we really be surprised by what's happening today in our nation when God and the Pledge of Allegiance have been removed from the classroom? Wake up, America. Jim. Pete Rose is already in the Wise Guy Hall of Fame because when they came after him, he gave up nobody. There were no phones and no computers for him to put his pets in. And we know when people in Brooklyn where his pets were put in, he gave up. And E. Frank. Yes, the Artemis One uh, rocket and the Oregon capsule are friends of mine. When you said that Juliet Huddy said there was an explosion. <laughs> Greg. <laughs> and finally, Jared. Yes. All right, Jared. Uh, thank you. We'll call back tomorrow. We'll get to you. Hey, uh, this has been a lot of fun. I'll be back tomorrow. We've got some interesting things planned for tomorrow. We're going to talk crime and a bunch of other things. 
parenting, science, space. Frank Moreno, good day.